Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Shane did a nice job against us. He's done a nice job for a little while now. Um, I thought Miles actually outpitched him, if you ask me. But uh, Shane has something for you. He's got electric stuff. Miles uh, also did a really nice job. That was a plus outing there. If you look at it, we had six, seven balls over 100 miles an hour off of them, just right at people. That game could look a lot different if you played it over again. That was only Marmol after the Cardinals lost the game yesterday, 2-1 to one against the Tampa Bay Rays. It was a quick one. I looked back to try to find the last time that there was a game played in an hour and 54 minutes. Alex, it was like seven years ago was the last nine inning game that went that short. So it was very brisk uh, game for the Cardinals yesterday. Unfortunately, that meant not a whole lot of offense for the Cardinals yesterday, which... 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line and the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. I know that was the talking point after that one. I don't really know what to do with the Cardinals offense right now, because if you look at any of the metrics, any of them, and I'm not even talking about the advanced numbers, batting average, on base percentage, slugging percentage, you know, runs per game. Cardinals are top 10 in Major League Baseball. They've been a very productive offense from start to finish. But for some reason, it does feel like, and Cardinals fans have a little bit of leeway here, they break out, they have a 7, 10-plus run performance, and then they go cold. And that's been the case lately. They have scored three or fewer runs in the first nine innings of each of their last six games. They've gone to extra innings a couple of times in that stretch, but it took until extras for them to get to the greater than three run threshold. Alex, where are we at on this team right now? Because the Cardinals to many people seem like an enigma, despite the fact that they're 32 and 26 and on pace to win 90 games. Where are we at? Like you and me? Where where are you at? Oh, let's start there. Because I think I'm on a different... I'm not panicking. Like, I'm not sitting here saying that this team is awful and they're not going to be any good and they're going to go into a run and fall apart. But I am starting to get a little concerned that they can beat the bad teams and can't beat the good teams. Now, disclaimer, they just beat the Padres, swept the Padres, and that is a good team. But you split the series against Milwaukee. You split the series against Toronto. You lost the series to the Mets, but yet you beat the Pirates. You beat the Cubs. I don't know. 
Like, I'm, I'm so confused by this team right now. And a lot of this is because you don't have Steven Matz and you don't have Jordan Hicks who forces you not to abuse your bullpen like this. And Tyler O'Neill was out. You are playing without Dylan Carlson. But despite all of those quote-unquote excuses, they're still hitting. They're still producing. But it's kind of the... It's kind of the Jekyll and Hyde thing. You're producing against the teams you should be producing against, but you're not producing against the teams that you need to be producing against. So what would you consider to be a good team? Above 500? Is that fair? Yeah. Do, do we need to go above that threshold? No, or? I think above 500. Like anything above 500, I would consider. Because the teams that would qualify for that that you've played this year are the Brewers. Um, you haven't played the Braves, but they would be in that mix. The Mets the elsewhere around the National League. We're talking Giants, Padres, Dodgers. Those are the teams so far that would be above 500 that would fit into this criteria. That, that's fair. We can go there. Yeah. So far this year, the Cardinals against teams that are above 500 are 14 and 16. The only teams in all of baseball that are better against those opponents are the Dodgers, Yankees, Rays, who you just played, Mets, Astros, Padres, and Blue Jays. Those are the best teams in baseball. The guy just listed you. If you looked at any of the top 10 lists, ESPN, The Athletic, whoever it is, those seven teams I just read will be in the top 10. And other than the Padres, you haven't beat any of those teams in series-wise. You haven't really played many of those teams I mean, teams you lost either, two though. series, or you split two series with the Brewers. You lost both series to the Mets. Yeah, so I mean... It's not really a big sample size here to be able to pull from, but sure... And when you play against those teams, when you're looking at the runs scored so far, you've played 30 games against them. You're averaging about four and a half runs per game. You've scored 129 runs per game against those teams. Your offense has been fine in these scenarios. What I am confused by, and I'm not saying that anybody is wrong in this scenario. I understand if you are kind of topsy-turvy on the 2022 Cardinals because frankly they have been topsy-turvy it's been an up and down season thus far you play against the Padres and you feel great about the way that they performed in that series you play against the Rays on the road it didn't look good there's no arguing otherwise I think this is a pretty good team though and what I am confused by is if you are down on the Cardinals what is it about this specific team that we don't like? They run the bases very well, and we got this text that I do find to be interesting from the 618. The offense is bad. Numbers all over the league are down, and the Cardinals can be top 10, and that's still a crappy offense. I mean, you're playing in this era of baseball where offense is down right now. So if you're not hitting the ball as well as you did 15 years ago, like that's just kind of the era in which teams play the dead ball era. They didn't have as good of offensive statistics as we do now. Uh, you, you look in football, right? If you look at the passing game from 40 years ago, it's going to look a lot different than the passing games of today. All of the receivers now are putting up 1400 plus yards per season. You look 20 years ago, they weren't doing that a whole lot. Maybe one guy would put up those kinds of numbers. So I do think it's important to go relative to your era and the Cardinals relative to this current year in baseball are a pretty darn good offense. So offense is pretty solid. Base running is very good. One of the best in all of baseball. When the two corner outfielders are back, you got one back. It sounds like Carlson's on his way. I think your defense is going to be pretty good. Your bullpen's been up and down, but a lot of that is injury related. And right now we're waiting on Mats and Flaherty to return. The guys you expected to perform basically have. And the guys that we were hoping could perform pretty well have kind of lived up to all of those hopes. So Alex, I guess my question to you, 
what am I missing that is leading to so much angst? Because you are more representative of our audience right now. There are more people that are angsty about this Cardinals team than are with me believing that this is a pretty darn good team. I think it's just the inconsistency more than anything because I guess my retort just real quick. Isn't that just baseball? Like, isn't that basically every team that is not the Dodgers or the Mets in the National League? Yes, but the good teams, when they're inconsistent, they have other guys stepping up. And for the Cardinals, what I think is it's Goldschmidt, it's Arenado, and then you're hoping somebody can step up. And for a stretch, they're not getting those guys. I'm not on the page of, well, these guys are awful and they're not any good. There's talent on this team. There's no question. But my thing is what we just saw against Tampa Bay, where the offense goes silent and then you score 14 runs in one game against the Chicago Cubs. And maybe that is just baseball where you're facing good pitchers. You're not facing good pitchers and it's up and down. But I just think for the elite teams that you view as contenders, there's a lot more consistency involved with. But isn't there just two of them? Isn't it just the Mets and the Dodgers? Well, I mean, if you go to the American League, there's there's teams. Sure, but the Cardinals are relative to their peers, which is in the National League, right? So, but if you're always if you're aspiring for a World Series, you're always looking at what the competition is you're going to have to go through to get there. And yes, there's a National League, but then you got the American League also. And I hate to say it, but, but the that's teams- just the Yankees in the in the American League. They're the only team that have been consistent offensively so far this year too. So really, we're talking about three teams, and you are not in that criteria. <laughs> like I am not here to suggest that the Cardinals are on the same level as the Mets, the Dodgers, or the Yankees. But we were just they talking last week on, that we thought that they were getting there. So I guess that's where the frustration the comes tier. in. I've always said I think they're second tier in the yeah. National League. I, I do not think they're on the level with the Mets. They're not on the level with the pot, or on, of the Dodgers. They're not on the level with the Yankees. I think they are in that same criteria with the Padres. I think they are above right now for me, the Brewers. I do think they are better than the Braves. Those teams, I'm in the convert. We can talk about them and we can have the conversation who's better. The other three that I mentioned, I think I put them in a totally different bucket because that's where you're absolutely right, Alex. Those teams are consistent. They do not go through the same ups and downs that the Cardinals do. They're also all paying like 200 plus million dollars for their payroll right now. Mm -hmm. So they're paying for that, that success consistently. Whereas maybe, I guess maybe that's the the frustration for Cardinals fans is that you're just not paying that amount of money. And I guess the other thing too is I, I just haven't seen a run by the team yet. Like it's been up and down for the first two and a half months of the season. And if you look around, the Atlanta Braves right now are in the midst of an eight game win streak. Philadelphia Phillies, although I think they're awful in the midst of a seven game (laughs) win streak. The Dodgers, they've gone on win streak. San Diego, win streak. San Francisco, the teams that you consider elite, they find ways to go on streaks. And I think for St. Louis, it's been, well, they'll win a couple of games and then they'll lose a couple of games. They'll win a couple of, there's no extended streak where you look at it and you're like, damn, that's a good team. That's fair. Like I just saw Atlanta do what they did last night, make it eight straight. That's a good team. Yeah. And I, I just I would haven't just argue like the Cardinals were pretty close to doing that in their series against the Brewers and the, the Padres. Like they won five out of six against those two teams. There was that one game though, thrown in there that kind of. It gets you off the scent yeah, of this team where they yeah. lost eight to nothing and Burns just made you look terrible for a game. So I definitely understand that perspective. And the the thing that I'm having a tough time with is like, even if they did that over their next 10 games, when they're playing against the Reds and the uh, Pirates and the Red Sox, I know what would happen. It would go back to the same thing of, yeah, but wait till they play good teams. They're going to make them look bad. 
And the reality is the Cardinals have been pretty good against those quality opponents. Very few teams are great against teams that are above 500. What you have to do to be able to rack up the wins is go around 500 against those quality opponents and then crush the bad teams on your schedule. And that's why a series like this against the Reds, where yesterday Michaelis rested your bullpen. You should be good to go. Palante's on the mound tonight. He's probably going to give you three innings, maybe four innings if everything goes well. And then you're going to have a rusted bullpen where you could go to your best guys. And then you need a big start out of Wayno on Saturday. Your guy, Dakota Hudson, has been excellent his last two starts. Need a big start out of him before you go to a potentially another bullpen game. Maybe it's Zach Thompson on Monday. So they're not out of the woods here. But I do think that I'm a little higher on the Cardinals than people seem to be. Surprise, surprise. I'm the guy that's on the no, but everything's fine. Cardinals are going to be all right. Train. But everything is fine, though. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not sitting here panicking that this team is going to need a 17 games win streak to put them in the playoffs and then lose in a wild card. I'm not thinking that. I still believe this team could win the NL Central. And I think a lot of it is just the bodies that are out. And when you get those back, you can turn really in. It's what we talked about a little bit in the office it really does signify kind of what the blues were in terms of like, you just never knew what they were because you didn't have the whole team together. And then when the whole team were together, it was like, Oh damn, this is a good team. I'm not panicking. But what I am saying is I I'm starting to get concerned that you're going to fall into what that June was last year to where you do need a 17 game win streak. And I want that to be stopped before it starts coming up in about 15 minutes or so. If you could only have one, of Jacob Chikrin or Matthew Kachuk, which one would you choose? We'll talk about that coming up at 1130, but I want to hear from you guys next. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Where are you at on the Cardinals in 2022? How do you feel about this team right now? Do you share the angst that is coming from, from Alex right now? And I think from a good portion of the Cardinals fan base. Want to hear from you guys. We'll get to that coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We've got the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app as well. Go ahead and leave us a mic drop. How are you feeling about the Cardinals right now? Because it has been an up and down starts to the season. You get the three game sweep against the Padres. You win two out of the last three against Milwaukee Brewers. You're feeling good. And then you go into Chicago. You struggle up there in the first few games. You're able to salvage the series with the last two going into extra innings for both. And then in the series against Tampa Bay, you lose in extras. That was tough. And then you lose yesterday, despite the fact that Miles Michaelis gives you eight strong innings. And you just can't muster up any offense. It feels like when the pitching is going well, the offense is struggling. When the offense is going well, the pitching is struggling. And then what you come out with is, eh, we're kind of on pace for 90 wins, similar to what we've been over the past few years. And I'm frustrated. I was listening to the fast lane yesterday, Alex, and I was taken aback by, I don't even think I could call it pessimism. It's just pessimistic compared to my belief in what this team is. I I guess just the, disappointment in what the Cardinals have been so far this year. And I want to hear from our audience on where they're at. Alex, if you could boil down where you're at right now on your, on this team into a, a couple of sentences or whatever, how, the, the short, sweet elevator pitch of how you feel about this current Cardinals team is blank. I would say it's just concerned because I don't want 
what happened last season to happen again, where you go on a little bit of a losing streak because of injuries and whatever it might be, guys go cold, and then you have to have a 17-game win streak at the end of the season to make it into the playoffs. I feel like this is a team that should just be even keel all the way through. That's where my concern level comes into play. I'm not panicked. I'm not pissed off. I don't think this team is bad. I just want to see a little bit more consistency. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the three. One four. I've got a question for you, BK. Would you feel this confident about the Cardinals if they were still in another division in the National League? So I'll go ahead and take this moment to give my thoughts on where they're at right now. I think the Cardinals are good. I do not think they are great. And I only think there are two great teams in the National League right now. I think it's the Dodgers and the Mets. Every other team has a potential fatal flaw. For the Cardinals, I think their potential fatal flaw is the depth of the rotation. I liked the numbers that they were throwing at the problem earlier in the season, but eventually you kind of need at least four guys. And the reason why I wasn't concerned about the Cardinals rotation is because I believed that Steven Matz would be back sooner rather than later. The Cardinals told us that. Well, he had a setback and now he's going to be out for longer. That is to me concerning. And it does make me wonder if they need to have a little more urgency to be able to fill that. But that is their potential fatal flaw. The Brewers is their offense. The Braves seems to be injuries every year. The Padres, they don't seem to have an offense right now either. And the Giants are just kind of hit and miss everywhere right now. So the Cardinals, to me, are good. And they're in that class with the Braves and the Brewers, the Padres and the Giants. I think they're all kind of similar in terms of what the quality of the team is. And depending on what you value, you might value those teams a little differently. So that's where I'm at. I think they're pretty good. So to answer the question of where would I be at on the Cardinals if they were in a different division, I would give them basically zero chance to win the NL East or the NL West because I think the Dodgers and the Mets are great. I also don't know how much that matters in today's game. With the way that the playoffs have expanded and the way that you no longer have to worry about playing that one-game series, I don't know how much it matters if you don't get the, the top of your division this year. I'm with you, but I also think we'd be, we might be talking about a team that are we sure they can make the playoffs if they're in a different division in the national league, because they don't I have to say yes, because I still see them in the same ilk as the Padres or the giants or the Braves. Yes, but they have struggled against really good pitching for the teams that they've gone up against. And they've beaten up a lot on the pirates and the reds and the Cubs when they've played those teams. And if you're taking on, Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez for the Miami Marlins multiple times in a season, or if you're taking on, you know, the pitching for, I don't know, I don't know all of the team's pitching staffs, but like if you're taking on that pitching, would we be talking about this team pushing for a wild card spot? Maybe that would. And the Cardinals have played one of the tougher schedules in baseball right now, so I would say, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that would lower the expectations a little bit, though, for fans. So maybe the the frustration wouldn't be there as much because you would be going into a season in another division in the National League going, oh, well, they're not catching these teams, so they should be a wild card team. Whereas in the NL Central, everyone says, well, they need to be clear cut the best team out of everyone. 65780 is your comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, the frustration to me is that all of their inexpensive free agents other than pools have been a total disaster. Still believe that the Cardinals will make the playoffs, but the lack of uh, the lack of production from their free agent additions means that this team is just going to be the same as it has been in recent years. Nothing special. I do understand the frustration with the free agent additions and how they haven't really come to fruition. I mean, you look at TJ McFarland and Nick Whitgren and Steven Matz right now, man, that has been disappointing. You look at Corey Dickerson. He's been a whole lot of nothing for you thus far. 
So that's, that's frustrating too, where you had that money to spend and you spent it on those options. That's also include Aaron Brooks and Drew Verhagen. Yeah, Verhagen for sure. That's the thing that I, if I was going to spin it, <laughs> to pull a BT here. Spin rate. I think that the way that I would look at it is, yes, I understand those haven't worked out. I do think you're replacing a lot of what you expected to get out of those guys, though, from unforeseen players. Like Brendan Donovan is giving you the production as a left-handed bat that they hoped that Corey Dickerson would give to them. You're getting out of your bullpen an unexpected long man in Andre Pallante, which is basically what they signed Drew Verhagen to be. So other players are stepping up in those roles. And I do think maybe you're going to get Zach Thompson to be what they expected out of like a TJ McFarlane type. Honestly, maybe even more than that. But it is frustrating that those guys are kind of locked into the roster. There's nothing you can do about it because they have guaranteed contracts and you paid them money to be able to do this when you could have gone out there and got somebody else that might have given you more. All right, let's go to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Where are you at on this Cardinals team right now as we are a little more than a third of the way through the season? Next Monday is Flag Day, I believe. So we're right around that unofficial turning point of really being able to know what you have. Let's start out with Chris. Hey guys, Cattable Chris. Hey, I couldn't disagree with you more on the Cardinals offense. Um, I don't care what the rankings say, that's number four or five. If you take the average runs to the mean, meaning you throw out the top 5%, top five, uh, bottom 5%, and you average that, this offense is terrible. I hope there's an answer in Memphis, but we need another stick, and we need it soon. It's not really how a mean works. That would be a median, but... Um, no, mean meant average. That's what I was taught in fourth grade, I think. Mean is average. Meaning it is the midpoint. I, oh, sorry, Mr. Math uh, Professor. Man, this is what I'm here for. I don't do a whole lot right. I do tend to know it a little bit. Um, I, I understand what he's saying, but it's just not true. See, I, don't, I don't look at this team and say they need another bat. Because getting another bat, I, I, I mean, you have the bats. The bats just aren't producing right now. I'm And I, that's where I'm not panicking. Like, I think the offense is going to be fine. You had Paul Goldschmidt tearing it up, and then he dips a little bit. Nolan Arenado is in a little bit of a cold streak, and he'll get a little bit hotter. You put Dylan Carlson back in the lineup. Tyler O'Neill gets going. I'm not worried about the offense. Pitching is my concern. So I, I tend to be with you, too. The other thing is, like, it's just, it's just factually inaccurate what he's saying. I do understand that it feels, because we watch them every day, as if the Cardinals are amazing offensively one day, and then they stink the next day. If you look across baseball, that's how everybody is. It is. That, that's how this is working in 2022. It doesn't mean you have to like it. I'm not telling you that you should enjoy the way that baseball is played today. I am not suggesting that at all. In fact, I totally understand if you hate watching this version of baseball. I get it. But what the Cardinals are is representative of baseball in 2022, unless on one hand you are like the Royals or the worst of the worst. Like They, they are awful and never score runs. <laughs> and on the other side, you've got like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Mets who just are constantly scoring four or more runs. Like every day, you know you can expect that out, of, that out of them. And so if they get pretty good pitching with it, which they do more often than not, then you're going to win a lot. That's, that's kind of how that works. The Cardinals are somewhere in the middle. And if you look at just the way that, and I know Cottleville Chris doesn't care about this, but it, it is important. If you look at the way that their offense has been so far this year, they're fifth in batting average, 10th in on-base percentage, 12th in OPS plus. They've been a top 10-ish offense on the season. And that shows you it is representative of on a day in day out basis, 
they're top 10 in terms of what they do, they've done offensively. And yes, I am also taking taking into account the inconsistency. Uh, let's hear from Lisa. Hey guys, happy Friday. I don't think anybody's really surprised. As Randy Carricker said yesterday, well, most of all these pitchers had injuries last year, so no one should be surprised that they're struggling right now because they're injured. And who knows if Jack Flaherty, unfortunately for him, he can't stay well. So putting all your eggs in that basket seems to be a little foolish. And the hitting has been inconsistent since this approach, I won't mention names, has been taken. Arenado was awful in May. He wasn't kind of bad. He was awful. And so the inconsistency, I'm not an O'Neill fan. I think he cannot hit under big pressure. So not surprised by the inconsistency. They do well against teams that aren't that great and so that's where we're at right now they're not awful but they're not they're not above average either all right thanks guys i think lisa and i are on the same wavelength right now and i'm not see i'm actually optimistic with jack flaherty because it kind of reminds me of the miles michaelis situation where he was out for so long and you're like guy's never going to get back to form and then he comes back and it's like oh He's okay now. Like, I think the extended time off might benefit Jack Flaherty and the being cautious with it. I'm actually optimistic that he comes back and is good for you. You get Jordan Hicks back. I think that solidifies some things. Steven Matz, I'm expecting to as well. But Lisa and I are on the same page. Just in terms of they're not above average. They're not below average. They're just average. And if that's who they are, then that's fine. You can sit back and appreciate a little bit more. But I think the problem is... I heard the messages at the beginning of the season of it's World Series or bust for us. We're going to go all out for Yachty and Pujols and Ueno's final ride. Let's put this team together. And it looked on paper like they had it. And I think they could get back to that. Buster only even told us they're considered a World Series contender. But before I can evaluate that, you want to see what the whole squad looks like. The problem is I don't know when I'm getting the whole squad back together. And the more I, and the more I sit around and wait the longer or the closer we get to you need a 17 game win streak to put yourself back in this is this just like are we having actually a conversation about baseball right now and not the cardinals like is that what we're Maybe, running into but there's teams in baseball that are performing i mean atlanta's on an eight game win streak right now but earlier this season we would have been like oh my god <laughs> the braves are broken you know because before this win streak that they're on they were below 500 maybe that's the injury side of things and also it should put optimism back on the cardinal side because they were without ronald acuna jr for exactly. a really long time a ronald acuna jr i'm not comparing the two i want that to be even that's who you're thinking is basically to their Jordan offense what, what jack flaherty is yeah. to your pitching staff i mean that's the equivalent of it and at the time that he was returning they were 23 and 27 through the first 50 games of the season mm-hmm. if that happened here in st louis and they had lost two in a row against arizona uh they had lost let's see here two out of three against san diego they had lost they lost two, two out, out of three, three against texas earlier in the season two out of three against miami they were losing against some of the poor opponents on their schedule and they were doing so despite the fact that their pitching had been pretty good in most of those games their offense was super inconsistent sound familiar like that, that's that's the thing that I think is difficult for me is, okay, so because the Braves have gone on a winning streak when they played against Arizona, Colorado, Oakland, and Pittsburgh, now I'm supposed to believe that that team is fixed and you're broken because you just lost three games down against one of the best teams in the American League who has maybe the best pitching staff in all of baseball? 
That, that's when I'm supposed to believe that the Cardinals are broken. I, I just don't believe that. I think you ran into tough part in your schedule where your offense is struggling a little bit right now and your pitching staff isn't coming together because there are so many injuries that you're having to deal with. I also wanted to just throw this out there because I know Cottaville Chris was representative of a significant piece of the fan base and just would you say three or fewer runs is a good representative lackluster offensive performance? Is yeah. that fair? Three, three, three or, fewer, or fewer. I think like what they did against Tampa, I think is a, a great example of it. So the Cardinals have had 25 instances so far this year of scoring three or fewer runs in a game. So roughly 40% of their games are, are, are in that range. If you're looking for how that compares to the rest of baseball, there are 20 different teams that have scored three or four fewer runs somewhere between 22 and 28 times this year. They're all in that kind of range, right? And then there's a couple of teams that are outliers. It's the Dodgers and the Phillies. They've both done it 18 times. There are a couple other teams that are outliers in the negative direction where it's Pittsburgh, Washington, and Detroit. They've done it somewhere between 33 and 38 times. The Cardinals are in the middle. Their offense is every bit as inconsistent as any other offense around the league. The thing that you like about it is they also show the upside. And some of these other teams, if I went back through and saw, hey, how many times do they score seven or more runs? They don't have the capability of doing that the way that the Cardinals do. So to your point earlier, Alex, if this thing all clicks, I think one of the bright spots for this team so far this year is it hasn't clicked everything at once. And despite that, they're on pace to win 90 games and they're, they have not yet gotten a start out of Jack Flaherty. They do not have Steven Matz in their rotation right now. And you're just now trying to get your outfield back to what it was at the end of last year. That's the bright spot. If I was to spin this into a positive coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're getting to some questions and answers. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the no, air comfort service text anything. line for ask us uh, anything, I which is you, a buddy. totally different segment. I caught you, buddy. Sports or otherwise. We'll get into those coming up at 1145. But next, if you could get one of Jacob Chikrin or Matthew Kachuk, but you couldn't have the other, who would you take this off season? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Doug Armstrong, if he if he is indeed wanting either of those players, he's going to have to target one of them and figure out the best route from A to B to get those guys, what players are involved, and not worry about the other stuff. It's tough to pass up on Jacob Chikrin, though. He is a, an elite defenseman. You've got team control for another three years at $4.6 Who's the better overall overall player? I've, you're asking me? Yes. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's not even close. close. It's not even close for me. You know, uh, Matthew Kachuk is... What I think becomes your Ryan O'Reilly of the future. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the fast lane yesterday, talking about a question that I do think is worth asking going into this offseason. If you could only get one, because it's going to take a lot to get either of them, would you rather have Jacob Chikrin or Matthew Kachuk in a trade this offseason? Alex, I'm going to start with that point with you. Who would you rather have if you can only get one of those two? If I'm playing this out realistically, I would rather have Jacob Chikrin this offseason. And I know <gasps> Alex hates Kachuk. No, that's not where we're going with this. But like let's let's play this out. That's what I heard. Let's play this out in a realist you hate the Cardinals world. and you hate yeah. Matthew Kachuk. Let's play this out it's in a, a realist strategy. situation here. You were deficient in one area against Colorado, and it was the fact that you couldn't stop their offense. There are not like go take a look at the free agents available in the 2022 free agency. 
there are not a lot of left-handed defensemen available to you. Go look at the trade market. There are not a lot of left-handed defensemen available to you. Matthew Kachuk is a restricted free agent. Matthew Kachuk is either going to re-up in Calgary or go one year of arbitration and then become an unrestricted free agent. I don't see a bridge contract happening. It's either a long-term contract or he's a free agent. One of those means you got a chance at signing Matthew Kachuk and not having to give up assets. The other means you have no shot of getting Matthew Kachuk. Right now, there's an opportunity in front of you to make your defense much better. You have the chance to go out and acquire a top left-handed defenseman to play with your top right-handed defenseman. Your starting four would be Chikrin, Pareko, Krug, and Falk. So if I have one to go, I think this offseason, I'm going to make my run at Jacob Chikrin. And then next year, I'm going to hope and pray that Matthew Kachuk becomes a UFA. Grant Francis is filling in this week for Tanner Hendrickson. Grant, who would you prefer to have? Well, one of the things I think about is if I go back to this Colorado series and I think between Matthew Kachuk and Jacob Chikrin, if I have one of them, who gives me a better opportunity to win that series? I think it's Jacob Chikrin. I mean, in that series, the Blues struggled defensively more than off- offensively. They struggled to get the puck out of their own zone. Once Colorado got the puck into their offensive zone, it was there for a while, most of the time, aside from probably just game two, really. So I think it's extremely important for the Blues to look into getting that defense nailed down. I think if you look at right now is when you want to win the Stanley Cup. Right now is your opportunity. The window is as open as it's going to get. I think adding Kachuk helps but not as much as adding a defenseman like Jacob Chikrin. I think that it comes down to opportunity cost to me. Like it's less about these two players and more about, okay, if you don't acquire them, what is the alternative? If you don't acquire Matthew Kachuk, the alternative is probably re-signing David Perron, holding on to Vladimir Tarasenko for one more year. Trading for Jesse Puyarvi. And probably doing something like that, honestly. Yeah, like a lower level, getting a ninth forward for your top nine type of a move to be able to reallocate some assets, get a fresh new look in there. That's the way you would go about it. But you've got Jordan Kyrou still. You've got David Perron. You've got Vladimir Tarasenko. I'm feeling pretty good about my top nine, honestly. I don't have any issues there. And I didn't lock myself into anything long term that I'm going to regret. On the other hand, if you don't go out there and get a Jacob Chikrin, you have to acquire a top pairing left-handed defenseman. And the way you do that is probably by going out there and signing one of the guys that's available. And to do that, you're going to have to overpay for somebody that you're not going to love. You're going to like nobody out there. You're basically rushing into marriage. It's a shotgun wedding that you're going to have with one of Ben Sherratt or Nick Letty or Nikita Zadora. The bell of the ball would be Chris Letang. He's the bell of the ball, but you're going to be paying and probably. He's right, isn't he? No, I think he's left, is he? I thought he was right. Hold it on. says on this list that he's a right-handed okay, defenseman. Okay, well, he's a right-handed defenseman. Know. So guess what? The bell of the ball is not who you want because he's a he right-handed defenseman. He might be able defenseman. to play both. No, I'm not going to. He's going to cost me $6 million. I'm not signing a guy to play the right side. So shut up, Ferrario. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. Those. I mean, the, literally, I'm looking right now at the daily face-offs top uh, 50 free agents for this offseason. Their number one left-handed defenseman on the list is Ben Chirot. If that is the best left-handed defenseman available this offseason, I think it tells you everything you need to know about what this offseason has in terms of left-handed defensemen. So to answer my own question, I'm going Jacob Chikrin because that's the guy that I need, and it means that I'm not locking myself into something that I don't love. So that's probably going to cost you Scott Perunovich. It's going to cost you a first-round draft pick, and maybe it's going to cost you Ivan Barbashev. And that's where you do go out there and you make the second move where you get a ninth forward for yourself. 
And now I go into next season. I've got Jacob Chikrin on my blue line, which I feel great about. I've got somebody else that's going to be in my top, top nine forwards, hopefully solidify it. Maybe be a guy that's bringing a little more physicality up there to be able to interchange him elsewhere. And I feel really good about my team going into next year. It's not great. It's not perfect, but I feel pretty darn good given how close they were already this year. Just think about if you don't go out and attempt to acquire Jacob Chickering, you're probably most likely looking at attempting to get Nick Letty back. What that's going to take, he's already making five and a half million a year. Probably something similar. Is he going to take a pay cut? No, he doesn't have to. He can go anywhere he wants and someone will pay him five and a half or probably more. Especially how than he that. performed in the playoffs. Exactly. With Pareko, stopped Kaprizov, stopped uh, McKinnon for the most part. And on top of that, he can play on the power play. He didn't do it here, but somebody else might pay him to be a part of their power play unit. And you're not getting that value out of him here because he's not going to be a part of your power Here's play. Here's what happens if you don't trade for a left-handed defenseman this offseason. You're probably either overpaying and getting into a Marco Scandella situation with Nick Letty to where not saying that he doesn't play well, because I think he would play well, but you're going longer term probably with a Nick Letty and you're going to be tied into a contract for two years that you don't want to be a part of kind of like what they're in right now with Marco Scandella. If you don't trade for let, or you're going to say, okay, well, Scott Pernovich, Nico Mikola, it's your show. And I don't think that makes you any better. Or you go sign somebody that's a depth piece and you're pushing somebody up towards the top like an Ian Cole or something like that. I don't think any of those situations make you better next season than this season. So the other question about the Blues defensively is, what are they specifically looking for? We've had this conversation, Alex, so many different times, and we've attacked it from so many different angles. Chris Kerber added something to it yesterday when he was on with the fast lane. Here's what he said about what the Blues value on the blue line and what it potentially means for who they could acquire this offseason. Here's what we know. We know they value size. Okay, so whether somebody agrees with this philosophically or, or not, we know that Doug Armstrong values size. Petrangelo had good size. Gunnarsson had good size. That's why a, a combination of Krug and Perunovic I don't necessarily see that uh, as, as a long-term fix kind of situation for the St. Louis Blues because I think in that fifth and sixth pair, or fifth and sixth slot, they're looking for some size, and if they can find some size with that left-handed shot for that number four spot, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at anything that's six foot one or taller. I, 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 I'm with them there. I, I think that's important. If you look around the teams that are in the playoffs currently still, Colorado, New York, and Tampa, all of those teams, they have a player who's on the smaller side, the Kale McCars, the Adam Foxes, but a majority of their defensemen are six foot one or bigger. Now, don't take what he's saying and think, oh, yeah, they need to get a guy who's big and tough and throws a button. No. I think what Curbs is trying to get at there is you need somebody like a Jay Bomeister who's got that stick reach to play with Colton Pareko because the one thing that I noticed in the Colorado series was, one, Colorado was very fast. But, two, if you've got guys who can skate, and speed is the other element that I think is very important, but if you've got guys who can skate with the Nathan McKinnons and the Connor McDavid's and things like that, you also have the reach that benefits you because the one thing I remember all teams talking about, I remember being in the Dallas Stars locker room in that second round, and I think it was either Tyler Sagan or Radulov. One of them was talking about how obnoxious it was 
to try and get into the offensive zone when you had Bomeister on one side and Pareko on the other because it was essentially you're dumping the puck in and they're getting to it before you. So I think that's what Curves is trying to get at there. And I, I agree that that is very important to this team. But I think maybe something that may be a little even more important is the puck moving ability. That is why Nick Letty brought so much success to this team. The Blues need somebody that can transition the game defense to offense, move the puck from the defensive zone and move it through the neutral zone well, get the puck into the offensive zone, and that's how they can sustain that pressure. Where they got into trouble against the Avalanches, they couldn't transition the puck well. And at times, Letty could do that well. They need somebody that can do that on a consistent basis, and that is why Jacob Chickering could be so important to this lineup. Yeah. I, see, I just I think that the priority for the Blues is no longer that size. I think that they would like to have it. It's an added benefit, right? But that's also something that you pay for. If a guy is a really good puck mover and he skates well and he's big, well, that's the holy trinity for these defensemen. Like You want all three of those skills, and that's what you were hoping that Colton Pareko could be. But I think that they've moved a little away from that, honestly. If you look at the way that they've made these moves in recent years, Justin Falk is not a super big guy. He's a puck mover, and he's very good defensively, and he skates well. So they prioritize that. Tory Krug is not a big guy. He skates well. He moves the puck well, and they prioritize that with a long-term contract. Scott Perunovich, not a big guy, skates well, moves the puck well, and that's what their priority was when they decided to draft him. And so I do think we have seen the same thing for Nick Letty, not a big guy, but does all of those things well. I think we have seen a shift in their mindset of what they do prioritize, not value, prioritize, and that if they have to make a tiebreaker between do we go with the size and the stick length versus the puck moving abilities if we've got to decide between one of the one or the other I think they are starting to prioritize the puck moving ability and I think we heard them talk a little bit about that in their exit interviews this year I would agree with that if the Blues weren't playing in the central division because I look at the landscape of their division moving forward Winnipeg a big team Nashville a big team Colorado they still got Landeskog and Ranton in guys that go to the front of the net Minnesota we just just saw with that grief line every team you're going to play three four times in the regular season they all go to the front of the net and you I don't think you can have a successful season if you're spending th- two-thirds of a hockey game with Scott Perunovich and Tori Krug on the ice because I think those guys are just going to get shoved out of the front of the net I think you got to have somebody and maybe it is Mikola who gets a little bit more priority and Mike Van Ryan does the platoons there. Perunovic is an offense. Mikola is a defense. I just think you got to get some consistency with Colton Pareko. And to do that, you've got to get somebody who can manage the front of the net to make sure guys aren't parking themselves All there. roads lead to Chikrin. He's 6'2". He's a puck mover. He or skates Sandheim. well. Like Brent yeah. Burns. What, one of those guys where, for Chikrin, the reason why I think he makes mo- the most sense is just because his age as well. Well, in the like term. He's young. Because Sandheim, he's a U- you get one year of him and then he's a UFA. He's young. He's cost-controlled. He's, low- he's got a good rate right now at $4.6 million over the next few years. He's long. Like he... He is the perfect fit. There is nobody else. There are other guys that would be good fits. Jacob Chikrin is the perfect fit, and that's why we're going to continue talking about him all offseason long. Coming up in about 15 minutes, the Cardinals have some decisions to make with playing time now that Dylan Carlson is expected back tonight. What does it mean for Nolan Gorman? What does it mean for Brendan Donovan? And could Juan Yepes be heading back down to the minors? We'll talk about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Ask us anything, though, coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything. I want to report or pass this along. This comes from Art Haynes, who works out in uh, Springfield, I do believe. He's the Missouri State play-by-play guy. So Isaiah Mosley, who was one of the top transfers available on the market this offseason for college basketball, chose Mizzou. It's a big get, and he's probably going to be their leading scorer next year. Art Haynes is reporting that Isaiah Mosley has an NIL deal at Mizzou that will pay him $250,000 per season. He also gets the use of a house and a car while he is at Mizzou. Woohoo! Is it a house to himself? I don't I would have to imagine. That's incredible. Can you imagine being I think he's 20 years old hey. getting $250,000 to your name? And also hearing, hey, by the way, you get a free house and a free car for the next year. I know I was against the NIL of paying athletes and things like that because, you know, my whole speech of student athlete. But for Mizzou, hell yeah. Way to go, Dennis. Give them all the money that they want. I'm so proud of them. They finally figured it out. They finally figured it out. All right. Keep bringing them on. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Ask Us Anything. Ask Us Anything, guys. What do you put on a hot dog? And it better be mustard. What's your hot dog condiments of choice? The typical ketchup and mustard. Ketchup's disgusting. Who the hell says ketchup is disgusting? Do you like tomatoes? See? I'm with you. What is wrong with you, Grant? You you like tomatoes? You like pizza sauce? Listen, I'm going to get heat for this. Yeah, you will. I don't. I'm not a condiments person. Oh, come on, I don't man. put anything on You put on nothing? It. Go plain? No. Plain yeah. Jane, huh? Raw yeah. dog in it. All right. Um, Raw dog in the hot dog. <laughs> I, uh, I put go some onions mustard on, on one side. Sometimes, depending on how froggy you're feeling, some relish on the other side. Have you ever put pepperoncinis on a hot Great. dog? Fantastic. Love Chicago style? Love that. It's fantastic. Well, uh, it's Italian style is what I like to call it. Fair enough. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 636. BK, how much are you using the Peloton at this point? Uh, less so in the summer. During the winter, I got it on it five times a week. Oh, man, your legs are looking pretty scrawny. Yeah, well, that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, I have recently started doing some of their runs on the Peloton app. Oh, buddy, are my legs sore because they are chicken legs from the 314. You know what when I get money and I can afford one like that. Guys, what's the best bar in St. Charles County? That you would like to go to. Alex, you went to college in the St. Charles area out of Lindenwood. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on you represent. I spent a lot of time on Main Street, though. Um, Well, and also, I didn't spend a whole lot of time at bars because I was broadcasting a lot and then I was doing an internship, but they had a couple on Main Street that was good. Um, Llewellyn's, of course, is incredible on Main Street. That's the one that we always used to go to. God, and there was another one. It was a little Italian pizza spot. Trying to think of what it is called, but it was like on the far end of Main Street, man. And they had, we went out there one night and got a bucket of wings, a bucket of beer, and like, I don't even, it had to have been like the largest pizza I've ever seen in my life. And we dominated that whole thing and then vomited afterwards. So that's good. Checks out. Not because it was bad, it was just because it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, I live right by Main Street. So if you're looking for a dive bar, Big A's is a good time. Go out there with a few buddies, shoot some pool. Um, if you're looking for cocktails, Novellus is good. I like Rack House as well. They've got a really good whiskey selection that I enjoy. Um, I am a I'm a fiend for sangria. <laughs> Prosino has very good red sangria. 
Uh, so those would be a few. That's what it's called. Telena's. Thank you, 636. Telena's. Oh, so good. That is definitely a place that you go yeah. when you're drunk. And <laughs> if you don't want a bar, Grandma's Cookie. Grandma's Cookie's outstanding. Love that place. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, ask if you could go to Grant's Farm or the zoo, which would you prefer to go to? Alex, going, this is a perfect question I'm going question to both of those this weekend with Katie and Adelaide. Yeah, we're going to double dip this weekend. Um, I prefer the zoo just because there's a lot more to do, but Grant's Farm is fun because it's a lot more interactive. Like for Adelaide, I think she'll get a kick out of the goats when we go there. Can you still feed the goats? Honest moment. I've never been to Grant's Farm. I've Dude, been to the zoo multiple You would times. love Grant's never Farm because Grant's Farm. you can sit and just drink and they got like music and things. You can do that at the zoo too. Do you know the zoo's free here? It's frowned upon though. What do you mean? Got, you know, there's kids around. You don't want to sit around and drink there's at the zoo. There's not kids around at Grant's Farm? No, not in the, not in the adult area. Yeah, you know I'm going to Grant's Farm. Because his name's Grant. Come on, man. Right <laughs> over my head. <laughs> he doesn't get that, Grant. He's not intelligent <laughs> enough. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. All right, final one here. Guys, ask us anything. If you could go to the beach or the mountains, which would you prefer? <laughs> we did this a little bit yesterday. Uh, we know which ones BK's going to. Mountains. Yeah, mine's a beach. Even though I'm like Grant, I don't like the beach. Like, going deep into the water scares the hell out of me. But at least I go into the water. You give me the all water. the crap no, for I go sitting at the, the pool, and then you're over here saying the same thing. I go into the water, and I sit on the beach. I don't sit at a pool at the resort that I'm at on the beach. It's all the same. I just don't like to go deep in because I've seen way too many documentaries of what goes underneath you there. Listen, I'll tell you what, going to college on Long Island, driving the Ocean Parkway, it's like a therapy session. <laughs> That's true, man. I'm sticking with the mountains. Apparently There's so much to do there. you get free beer at Grant's Farm. You don't get free beer at the zoo, BK. That's true. They make sure that you pay for that. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're playing a Tinder Friday. Some of the secondary options for the Blues that could make sense for them, especially if they end up missing out on a Jacob Chikrin or they can't re-sign David Perron. I'm not expecting it, but if their top priorities end up going elsewhere... Who are the secondary options? We'll go with the Tinder Friday for that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Cardinals have some big decisions to make with playing time now that Dylan Carlson is expected back later on tonight. Who is it going to impact the most? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. reports the Cardinals are very encouraged by Dylan Carlson's progress and he's expected to be back in the lineup tonight Alex he was off last night because they said ah we'll just get him a day off we think that he's done everything he needs to good to go gonna probably be called up I would assume within the next couple hours we'll probably hear some kind of news on them making that official Carlson's return Brings up some big questions for the lineup, though, especially when it comes to the playing time for some of the young players. You expect to see Tyler O'Neill most nights in left field, especially early on while he's still working his way back. Dylan Carlson going to get most of the starts in right field. So what does that mean for Tommy Edmond? What does it mean for Nolan Gorman, Donovan, Yepes? That's where things get really interesting. Alex, what do you think the squeeze looks like? Who gets pushed out of the lineup with this return of Dylan Carlson? I honestly, I feel like the way that it turns into now is Tommy Edmonds stays at short permanently, and second base is a flip between Donovan and Gorman. 
Now, I know both are lefties. Has Donovan struggled against left-handed pitchers? He hasn't been great against them, but in his career, he's been mostly fine. So, so this year, it's relatively small sample size. I know people get mad when I say that. But but it may, it maybe this is to the point now where it's like, you know what, sink or swim. Let's see if Nolan Gorman can hit some lefties. I mean, he can't. Well, I know he can't, but you, you're going to have to start finding a way to if you're going to be a regular in the lineup. I would actually go the opposite. I would say Edmundo Sosa is your starting shortstop against left-handed yeah, left pitching with see, I'm not playing, Edmund at second. I, I don't think I'm playing Edmundo Sosa unless I have to. Uh, I, I'm getting my bats the at-bats that need be. So my second base is going to be a flip between Gorman and Donovan, and then DH is going to be Yepes and Pujols. Uh, that's where I find it really interesting. So against left-handed pitching, I think Gorman just sits. That's what they've been doing. I, I think they continue doing that. And the question is, do you go with, to your point, Alex, Edmund and Donovan? Or do you go with Edmund and Sosa? And you can determine where those guys play. It's probably Edmund most often at shortstop, but I, I think they'll probably go Sosa there over Edmund, or at least that's what they've been doing. Against right-handed pitching is where it gets really interesting because you're going to have Edmund in there at shortstop for sure. You probably have Gorman at second base. I think the way that I would prefer to see them go about it, though, and I don't think they will, I would rather see Donovan at second and Gorman at DH against right-handed pitching. And the problem is there's going to be a crunch for Juan Yepes's playing time potentially in that situation. Yeah, but see, that's why I don't I don't want to. You're going to have pools going out there as a DH against left. And I don't want to take Juan Yepes's bat out of the lineup. I, I Donovan has cooled off over these last few games. And what I think so I was Yepes. Yeah. I, I just don't want to take Juan Yepes. I don't want to lose Juan Yepes. If that makes sense, mentally and physically, physically, I want him there, but mentally, I don't want to have to send him down after he's had success up here. I want to keep building off of that. So and who do you send down? I think I, I don't think I send Lars? anybody down. I, oh, yeah, I guess Lars. I was going to say, because I think I'd get to the DFA point where I'm either moving on from Sosa or Corey Dickerson. But I forgot you have Lars. Lars goes down in that circumstance. And then once you the, the closer you get to Matt's coming back and Flaherty coming back, I'm getting into DFA territory because yeah. there's nobody else on this roster Juan Yepes and Brendan Donovan do not deserve to be sent back down to the minors because Edmundo Sosa has a contract or Corey Dickerson has a contract. They have not played to the caliber that Juan Yepes and Brendan Donovan have. I think that's fair. This is where it's going to be interesting for Ollie. He's now got that flexibility he's talked so much about. You get into the later innings, and if you're starting the game against a lefty and then eventually they bring in a right-handed pitcher – this is where you can do some of the things that we saw the Giants do a year ago. Or if you've got a guy that's coming to the plate, like, for example, the DH spot is exactly where you would utilize these kinds of platoons, where if it's a lefty on the mound to start the game, you've got Albert Pujols in there. He's going to be batting towards the top of the lineup to get as many opportunities against that starter as possible. And then the moment that they bring a, bring in a right-handed pitcher against Albert Pujols, you're throwing in either Donovan or Gorman or somebody into that spot to play DH. I think the reason why I would like to see Donovan get those opportunities at second base over Gorman is just because defensively, I think you're significantly better with him out there. And the tough part is, is this about development for Gorman or are you trying to win right now? Because I think you're a better team with Gorman as your left-handed DH option than if Donovan is because Donovan's value comes in part because of his defense. He can play all over the diamond and he's pretty good or at least average everywhere. Gorman's value is almost entirely right now in his bat, but they don't seem to want to utilize him as a designated hitter. So that's where 
it's going to be a big decision point for Ollie Marmel is really with Gorman. I think he is the one that all of this pivots around. Not Yepes, not Donovan, not anybody else. I think it all comes down to, are they completely opposed to using Nolan Gorman as a designated hitter against right-handed pitching? Because if they are, uh, then it becomes more difficult to find everyday opportunities for Juan Yepes because then you're going to have to be throwing Brendan Donovan into the outfield, and that takes away those chances for Yepes. And I think that means you could see Yepes go down instead of um, Lars Newtbar. I think their plan with Gorman determines whether it's Yepes or Newtbar that ends up going down to AAA just because you can't have Yepes just sitting on your bench. I just don't think that's the right play. I think you can find at-bats for how this offense has underperformed these last few games. You can find offensive opportunities for Juan Yepes as the DH and then the fourth outfielder or filling in on first base a little bit. And I, I, I just think Nolan Gorman's future although it isn't looking like it's going to be second base, at least for the here and now until Mason Wynn is available, he's second base for you. And I know people don't like it. I think who's better at second, Donovan or Gorman? Defensively, I think it's pretty obvious Donovan, but that's right now. I think if you give more reps, Nolan Gorman can improve at that position. If we think that it's going to be next year, let's say, by the end of the year when Mason Wynn is potentially ready to go for the big leagues, are we really developing Gorman for the long term to play second base then? No, but I don't think Mason Wynn's available next year for you. I think I think Mason Wynn's probably two years away. And at that point, I think a lot of, I think more things clarify themselves in terms of position for a team. Six five seven eight oh zero comfort service text line from the three one four. BK's already riding off Gorman. Unbelievable. Let the young stud plays young studs play rather. Now you have BK, said that you BK don't like would him. make a terrible manager. You have said you'd like to trade him for a bullpen pitcher. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going with. It's not about Gorman being a bad player. I just, the thing that I want from Gorman, the the value that he brings to my major league club right now, and Alex is absolutely right. A couple of years from now, his value might be defensively as well, but I think best case scenario, he's average for you there. The value that he brings to you right now is just as bad. That That is how he's helping you win today. But that's the one thing they need right now is a bat. And I want that bat in the lineup. I just exclusively want the bat in the lineup. I don't want the glove out there. And I think that what you're going to do is against right-handed pitching, you're going to be playing Gorman and Donovan regularly. And those guys are battling for the same spots. So with Gorman, he's not very good defensively. He's got a great bat. With Donovan, he is solid defensively at a minimum and also has a pretty good bat that he's bringing to the lineup. So I'm going to put the better glove in there and I'm going to put the better bat in there and I'm going to put him into their respective positions that help me win more that given day. But it also slows the development. So they're they're trying to treat two different ideals and that's where we got to learn something now about what Ollie Marmel and this front office is going to value. Are they valuing the today or are they playing for Today, they're still potentially going to win some games like this. It's not like they're hurting themselves completely, but also trying to still develop that player for the future as well. It's going to be interesting, man. There's a lot on his plate right now, especially as they're getting some of these guys back from the injured list. Again, if you missed it, the big news uh, from yesterday is that the Cardinals are expecting Dylan Carlson back in the lineup tonight. He will very likely be your starting right fielder, and that's going to put some pressure on who these young, where these young players are going to be playing uh, moving forward. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 
does the 2023 free agency for the NHL play into the Blues' plans for this offseason? Alex thinks the answer is a resounding yes. He'll explain why coming up at 1230, but next... It's a tender Friday. Oh. Secondary options for the Blues if their primary Grant. options end up going elsewhere. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ready for some. The Barry White music, man. I'm telling you. Friday. Yeah, baby. You can't. Can your voice go that low? No. Try it. 65780. Yeah, I tried baby. it at the beginning. You couldn't hear it. 65780 is here. Comfort Service Sex Line. Wolf. To get involved in the show, if you'd like to play along, you swiping right or left. It's going into the weekend. We're playing some Tinder Friday. Oh, 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 let's go. So here's the unfortunate part. You missed out on Matthew Kachuk. He ain't going to be here. Oh. David Perron signed elsewhere. I know. It's very Whoa. upsetting. I know. He signed for four years and $24 million. Nothing you can do about so it. So I got two holes to fill? Yep. Well, well no, one. you didn't have Matthew Kachuk. That was never going to happen, apparently. So Tarasenko is still with the team. Tarasenko is still with the team. Did I get Jacob Chikrin? Nope. Oh, man. Oh. I don't, this team sucks. Yeah, we're looking. Whoa. Hey, what chill you, there. You're telling me I lost Perron. I believe blue to you. Apparently well, of course not. I am, but you're telling me I lost Perron. I didn't get Chikrin. I didn't get Kachuk. Did I get Pasternak? You've got nothing right now. And you're going, telling me this team's good. We're going through to make it a quality team again. Okay, so, well, we can do we that. We have options. That's what we GMs have. GMs of the year We're right looking here, Grant. for our David Perron replacement first, okay? okay? Okay. I'm getting these numbers from The Athletic. You swipe right if you like it. I don't know, Grant, if you have any experience with Tinder, but you swipe right if you like <laughs> it. You swipe Grant. left oh, yeah. if you don't. Oh, yeah. I haven't done Tinder at all. So you can super the first swipe option. too, Grant, if you really like oh, it. Yeah. I got the super swipe somewhere. Yeah, T-Bone likes to abuse those. <laughs> Let's start with the first option. We saw this gentleman playing last night. He's a left-handed shot. His name is Andrew Kopp. He is going to be 28 years old. He's coming off a 21-goal, 53-point season for the New York Rangers. He spent most of his career up in Winnipeg. Alex, are you swiping right or left on a four-year, $24 million contract for one Andrew Kopp? I am swiping... Right if you don't like. like it. Right if you like it. I'm left if you don't. swiping left. This confuses the hell out of me. I, really not that hard. As much as I, are we sure? Yes. As much as we like Andrew Kopp, if I'm replacing him with David Perron, Andrew Kopp is not a goal scorer. Andrew Kopp is a 200-foot player, but I'm losing 25-plus goals from David Perron. And I know he scored goals in the playoffs, but notoriously throughout his career with Winnipeg and the short time he was with the Rangers, only about a 15 goal goal scorer. So I am swiping left on this. I think I'm going to pass on paying him $6 million to not score me 25 goals. I love the idea of Andrew Kopp. I like the way he plays. I think he's a playoff performer, but $6 million a year is a little much for me. So I'm swiping left. Some would say it's a cop out. We're going to sweep this one. The money's just too much for me. Four years, $24 million. It prevents me from going out there and making other moves in the future. I can't do that. $6 million. Too much for one Andrew Kopp. Who else you got, buddy? Andre Pilat, who we oh, also saw last God. night. This guy, you're obsessed. He's a 31-year-old player. He's a consistent 15 to 20 goal scorer. He's been in a winning pedigree franchise over the last... 10 years now with the Tampa Bay Lightning last night had a great deflection that ended up going into the net. He's a playoff performer as well. He's a 200 foot player, 
Andre Pilat. Are you swiping right or left? Alex had a three-year, $16.5 million contract, so 5.5 AAV. I'm swiping left. I think this is Come a on, I think this is a third line player for you. I, I don't agree. think he's a top six player. You're gonna pay a third liner five million dollars? I've given my answer yet. Well, I know what your answer is. <laughs> I but you've been obsessed with him. Look, I, I think Pilat is a great player, but he's only had twenty goals or more one season. And that's with Tampa Bay, with Kucherov and Stamkos, a really damn good team. Um, so as much as I like this, again, I'm under the preface of I'm I'm filling a void left by David Perron. I'm swiping left on this because I don't think he matches what you're losing in Perron. I think Andre Pilat is a result of what he has around him a little bit. I don't think he's a bad player, but I don't think he's as good if he's not on the lightning. The seventh round draft pick, BK. Come on, man. Swiping left. So now everything's about pedigree, huh? The blues must be real good. Listen, we're picky. Gotta be gotta be good to be on this team. I'm swiping to the right because I also know what the other options are here. And I think your best option among obviously not a great list of candidates here. This is why the Blues need to re-sign David Perron is Andre Pollat. I like what he brings to the no table. Way. He's got enough physicality for you. This is not a crazy expensive deal. And the thing that I really like about it is the term. Three years at $16.5 million gives you that bridge to when you're going to be spending big time money on some other guys. I think that is also a tradable deal. If you had a, if you could chuck, who becomes available next offseason in free agency and you needed to shed some salary, I think somebody would take on two years and $11 million for Andre Pilat. He's a winning player. He's got the pedigree. I like Andre Pilat at three years, there's, 16 and a half. There's no way that those are the, those are the best options for you with no David Perron. I know who you're going to go with. Next up on our list for Tinder Friday, Nick Paul. Otherwise known as fully formed version of Logan Brown. He's what six foot three. He's 225 pounds. He plays right now for Tampa Bay as well. It feels like we're just taking players from last night's game. He has previously spent the vast majority of his career, though, in Ottawa. He's traded this year at the deadline. 16 goals. Very good season for him for both Ottawa and Tampa Bay. But prior to this, he had never scored more than nine goals in any individual season. The Athletic is projecting a four year contract worth 13 and a half million dollars so this is the 3.5 million aav nick paul swiping right or left alex swiping right actually guess what boys it's time for a super swipe i love nicholas paul now you calling him a glorified logan brown first of all apologize to logan brown because that was a top three top five best move by doug armstrong This would be even higher than Logan Brown. I, I love this idea, man. Six foot three, two twenty-four, like you mentioned. He plays the left wing. You can put him at a center position if you need him to. Hits everything in sight. Goes to the front of the net. He's not going to be able to replace David Perron. That's the thing. Like, you're not. This guy is not scoring you twenty-five goals in a season. But what I love about Nick Paul is I think you're getting 15 goals from him, but you're also getting the aggressiveness that is needed for a team. And with the offense, a guy who goes to the front of the net, I think he might benefit a little bit more offensively. So if that's the contract, sign me up for it. He's such a versatile player. And last night he was creating chances like crazy. I think he hit the post in the first period, if I remember right, too. He just he's always all over the ice. And I'm not going to super swipe here, but I am swiping right. Make sure you save it. I'm swapping left. Nick Paul is a guy oh who's God. the benefit of playing a career year this season, 16 goals. And now he's going to go out there and get three and a half million dollars per year on a four year contract. That's what no, you pay man. a 15 goal scorer. He's not a 15 goal scorer, though. Yes, he did he it is. once. It's a one off. 
What? Oh, I'm paying God. you for what you're going to do, scored, not what you just did. He scored 15 goals for the Ottawa Senators, BK. He scored 11 for them and then scored five in his final 20 games for Tampa Bay. That's pretty damn He's a good. product with a good of offense. his environment in Tampa Bay, clearly. I a am product not, of your environment in Ottawa is nothing. Yeah, and he was nothing for the first six because years of his NHL career. there's nothing there. You're putting him on a line right now with Braden Shen. You don't think he's going to score on that line? He might. But I would like to. I would rather go with Andre Palat, who has shown me for multiple seasons that he's a 15 goal scorer. With Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov, he was only a 15 goal scorer. And not necessarily always on that line, but oh, I okay. see your point. Braden Point also was on that team too, by the way. And All you're right. heavily overpaying. Yeah, you're paying him for five Pilot. and a half million dollars for a dude who was a 15 goal scorer. Can we all just agree we're not going to pay Cali Yarncrook four years and 18 million dollars? Hell no! <laughs> I almost said a bad word on the air. That there is no way, shape, or form that man is getting that much money. If he gets that much money, BK will eat more paper on the air. And can we all agree that Zach Aston Reese is only going to be a fourth line player and we would be willing to go three years, six million dollars for him, but we're not going to get three years, six million dollars. Yeah, that's way too much money for him. <laughs> There's the Nick Ritchie deal. There's that. That's way too much money. I'd pay him three. I don't even know what one point five per year four, would four, be. Four and a half. That's what I would pay him. There is no way I'm paying $2 million. All right. And then the last one here for your forward options. And these are all the guys that are in like the three and a half to $5 million range. Someone said, Alex, can you talk to blues and get Logan to come in studio for a segment to ask why BK hates him so much? <laughs> That's fair. Um, the last one that we've got in this range is Frank Vetrano, yes. who <laughs> Grant didn't even have to hear anymore. Grant he saw like, that first picture. Grant, and he was like, this right, is why I was saving swipe. my super swipe. Grant's been waiting for this guy to well, come up. Well, tell me the AAV. Uh, it is four years, $16 million. So it's an average oh, yeah. of $4 million per season. That's a good Taking deal. It. He is 27 years old. He'll be 28 next year for the Blues if he were to sign here. He's been right around 18 to 25 goals per year over the last three to four years. I'm going to pay him less than what you were paying Andre Palat, who scored less goals than Frank Vetrano. Because Palat is a more physical, bigger player. That game last night might bring down his (laughs) AAV about 500 a year. Yeah, no, but... I really like this Frank Petrano guy. I think he plays the style of hockey that really works in the playoffs too. Exactly what this Blues team needs. If you're talking about like the identity and also at the same time being able to put the puck in the back of the net, I'm super swiping this guy all day. I've already used my super swipe on the man that deserved the super swipe, but I'll swipe uh, right on this one. I like Frank Petrano. Uh, I think he is a goal scorer. Like that's what his prime role seems to be on the wing. I think you could use him on the power play. He's not as big or feisty as David Perron, but that's the deal. $4 million, four years for a 27-year-old. I'd I'd swipe right on that. I'd swipe right on it, but I would still prefer Andre Palat because he's just a better hockey player. Uh, Somebody on the text line from the 65780 is your cup of service text line. I really hope that uh, Valeri Nishushkin is on this on this uh, list. He's not because he's projected to have seven years and six and a half million dollars per year. Uh, as his next contract because he is 27 years old and he was a highly productive player. So yeah, no, he's not going to be on this list. That's too much money for the Blues to spend. Can I give you a couple of others since we were already around like the five and a half threshold? Now, I don't know what the projections were uh, on your list, BK. One, Max Domi. And two, Nino Niederreiter. Three, Riley Smith. Okay, 
Well, all right. We want to go one by one here. Yeah. So I've got Riley Smith okay, here for you. Riley Smith. Riley, Riley Smith, Smith is projected six and a half million dollars per year on a five-year okay. deal. So we've swiped the left on that. Yeah, no, no, sir. Sixteen goals last year. Okay. Next one. Nito 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 Can you spell the last name for me? N I E D E R R E I T E R. Seven-year deal worth six million dollars per season. If you're not getting Peron. This guy scored 24 goals and had 44 points in 75 games last year with Carolina. He's a right winger. 44 points? 75 games. But he scored 24 goals. He's consistent, too. He's consistent. Uh, if I you're don't know not if I'm getting that Perron, guy a seven-year contract. He's, he's 29, so, he, I mean, it's going to it's gonna be ugly on the back end. If I could bring down the term, like, uh, the, the length of the term. What if you did four years at seven mil per year? Uh, sure, but you're I'd not getting it. him. Or six year, sorry. Mm. Okay, last What's one. the third one? Max Domi. D-O-M-I. I don't think I'm going to do this, but I'm curious what they have him as. Four years, four and a half per. Ooh. Now, Max Domi. <laughs> now, now, hear me out here a minute. Max Domi only got 11 goals last year, but Max Domi scored 28 with Montreal, 17 with Montreal, 18 with the Arizona Coyotes. He was used as a fourth liner for Carolina. I'm good. Okay. I'm hey, not giving hey, a four. You know what? I'll blank off. No, I... I it's an interesting idea. I'm not giving a four-year, four and a half million dollar contract. But yet we'll give a guy who scored 18 goals five and a half million dollars yeah. for four years. Absolutely. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page. All right, you can take down the music. Can we go through these really quickly? These are the defensemen that are your secondary options. I'm telling you, guys heard my Ferrari 05. Like, there's none out there. Olimata, four years, twelve million dollars. <laughs> That's what we're starting with, of course. <laughs> there's only four of them that are available. <laughs> yeah. So. There's not a. Are we all swiping left? Mm-hmm. Super swiping left. I'm swiping right. Uh, ben Sherratt, four years, twenty-two uh, million dollars. I didn't left. even care about the term. Yeah, you don't have to just say his name. Nikita Zadora, five years, twenty-two million dollars. No, in no way, shape, or form. Ian Cole, two years, five million. Ooh, I think of, I. I would total. No, total. I would do. I that. would do that. You don't have a top pairing defenseman now, but of those, instead of blocking myself into something that I'm unhappy with, I would rather go through what they did early this season. And let's see what you've got with Scandella. Let's see what you've got with Mikola. That's and then by say. the trade deadline, if there's nothing available to you, like that's when you go get your guy. In that circumstance, Mikola Perunovic is playing my top minutes with Pareko and Ian Cole is going to be playing on my third pairing, but he's Absolutely. going to be getting a lot more minutes than a third pairing guy does. That guy's won multiple Stanley Cups. And I'm yeah. not kidding. Those are your best options on the left side of your or you're going to the right side and having to play the left side. P.K. Subban, yep. Chris Latang, things like that. Yeah. So uh, the moral of the story, I can't wait for Jacob Chikrin to be a blue. <laughs> Coming up next, how does the 2023 NHL free agency play into the Blues plans this offseason? Alex says it has everything to do with their plans this offseason. He'll explain why next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talk with the blues we're talking about this during the break alex i want to throw this into the mix real quick before we get to the 2023 nhl free agency and how it plays into their off-season moves this year for the blues we just went through a bunch of the options that if david perron did not return this year because he ends up having a big offer elsewhere the athletic is projecting three years 18 million dollars would be david perron's open value market so let's go through this really quickly would you rather given what we just did have David Perron on that deal three years at $6 million per season. It's a lot of money. It's more than what any of us were projecting during the season. I think there were some people that thought, especially midway through when he was struggling a little bit, Hey, David Perron might be like a two to $3 million contract. This is double that on multi years. Would you rather have him at $6 million per year or 
Andre Pallott on that $5.5 million per year contract for three years. Nick Paul on a $4.5 million per year contract at four years. Or Frank Vetrano at $4 million per year for four years. Which one of those would you rather have of the four? Man, I know I said it in the break that I would rather have Perron, but now thinking more about it, I think I'm going to flip my tune here. I think I would go with, I wouldn't go Pallott because it defeats the purpose of what I'm about to say, but I would go either Nick Paul or Vetrano because I'm not going to put myself in a cap situation. And if I'm signing one of those guys for four and a half or four mil per year, it still gives me the flexibility to go out there and maybe make another move for a player. You're not going to replace David Perron, but if you can get Nick Paul or Vetrano and somebody else, I think that might be able to benefit your team. $6 million is just a lot. And I love David Perron. I think he needs to be here. But for $6 million per year for the next three years, I just don't think I can do that if I'm Doug Armstrong. And I'll preface with this. I don't think it's going to take $6 million a year to Agreed. get Perron back here. Um, anywhere else, yes. But I don't think that's what it's going to be in St. Louis. But if we're talking in the scenario that he is you know, demanding $6 million a year, I'm going the Frank Vetrano route too. It's dangerous to give a player $6 million a year when Perron is – you know, potentially getting up there. He could fall off at any point. He's going to be 34 years old next year. I don't think it's going to happen. But again, we're talking three years down the road. It wouldn't be shocking if he starts to regress a little bit as the years go on. You're talking three years from now paying him $6 million when you don't really know what you're going to get out of him in three years. Whereas a guy like Frank Vetrano, he's 28 years old. You're getting some of the better years of his career and you're getting him at four million dollars a year that seems a little bit more promising than David Perron in three years who's filling David Perron's spot on the power play if you don't have him back next year that's the question I don't think you have anybody that can do that and do do, you guys would know this better than I do any of these players Andre Palat Nick Paul Frank Vetrano fill that one-timer spot on the right side I mean, it's just probably no based Nick on Paul their production. Doesn't because Nick Paul's going to go to the front of the net. Andre um, Palat, same Palat, player. Same, Vetrano Frank, would be the only one of those three that I think has shoot? any chance. Is he a righty or a lefty? It doesn't probably doesn't a, matter because you could go either side. Well, it does matter though because like you want to have the guy in the right spot to where he can receive and shoot the puck. And Hoffman though, remember he he likes the right wall. Yeah. So some guys per- are Perron's it. a righty, and you'd be getting a lefty. I think it could benefit the team to have a left-handed shot on the power play. So Vetrano would probably play there. Would he be as effective? Probably. Probably not because, I mean, David Perron's, I mean, he's got a hell of a shot. I've heard people say. 11 power play goals this year. I've heard people say that Perron might have the second best shot on the power play to Alex Ovechkin. Wow. And that's pretty impressive. So, no, you're not going to fill that. But what does Doug Armstrong always say? It's not a one player. It's a pack mentality. And I think. The power play, though, is kind of one player. It is. (laughs) But I think that. The Blues power play unit, yes, they like those shots from the sidewalls, but they also, if you're getting a Nick Paul or a Palat, maybe not so much Petrano, but you got guys going to the front of the net. The reason I said not Perron is because I'm thinking a bigger picture here. I'm looking at it as if I sign Perron to a three-year, $6 million contract, I'm pretty much out on anybody else moving Unless forward. Unless you move Vladimir Tarasenko. Unless you move Vladimir Tarasenko, but that wasn't a part of this. If I know yeah. if I'm doing if I know I'm moving Vladimir Tarasenko, then yeah, I'll probably sign that David Perondio because I have that money to open things up. But I'm going bigger picture here in not just the Matthew Kachuk realm, but there are other names that the Blues can look at and say, 
there's potential to upgrade offensively in the next couple of years. And so I'll give my answer real quick because yeah, I want to get your thoughts on that. I would go David Perron. I would go the three-year $18 million deal for Perron because I'm not signing Palat for half a million dollars per year less than what I'm giving right now to David Perron, even though this is obviously, in my opinion, overpaying a bit in terms of the years. I might even be willing to do two years at like $11 million total. So five and a half per year for David Perron. It's a lot of money. It's more than what I was anticipating paying him, but he's worth it. He's proven that he is worth that amount of money. The third year is what gives me a little bit of concern given the age. And I understand he's gotten better with age, but these things can fall off a cliff quickly. We've seen it in other sports. We've seen it in the NHL before. It, it can happen to David Perron, although obviously none of us are rooting for that to take place. I would go the Perron route here. But, Alex, you made an interesting point. If you do sign him to that three-year deal at this kind of AAV, it limits what you're able to do not just this year, but next and the year after as well in free agency. And you were looking at the 2023 free agency earlier today, and you said to yourself, man, this free agency stinks, but next year's really interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you think that plays into the Blues' plans going into this offseason? Well, this goes back to our conversation also about earlier in the show of Matthew Kachuk or Jacob Chikrin and how we all said, like, you got to go after Jacob Chikrin because left-handed defensemen, there's not a whole lot of them either this offseason or next offseason. You upgrade there. But let's say you're not able to acquire the Matthew Kachuk and you wait till unrestricted free agency. Well, of course, his name's going to be out there. But some of these other names, I mean, you you don't want to hamstring yourself to where you can't make moves. Patrick Kane is going to be a free agent in two years. Um, Max Pacioretty, you've got David Posternak, you've got Dylan Larkin from the Detroit Red Wings, Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks, Jonathan Huberdo from the Florida Panthers. All of these guys are number one line players. So if I'm going to sit here and say, yeah, let's sign David Perron to a three-year, $18 million contract. Well, that means I'm out on the Matthew Kachuk front because unless you're moving Vladimir Tarasenko and he would be the unrestricted free agent. And then, of course, you'd have some money there. But you also have to remember you're re-signing Ryan O'Reilly. You're going to have to give an extension to Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. I, I just think when you look ahead and that's what Doug Armstrong does, he doesn't just isolate one season. He looks, OK, well, how's that going to affect us in 2023 and 2024 and 2025? If you if you put yourself in a bad position this year then it takes you out of the running in the near future. And I think that means that you're going to be running it back for the next couple of years with this same set of offensive players. It's going to be interesting to see how he analyzes the potential return for 2022 versus what is out there in the long-term outlook for the team, because they have a lot of cap flexibility right now. And that starts to dry up in the coming years if they start to lock in guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo and all these different things. And it also locks in if you go out there and acquire one of these guys that we were just talking about on a four-year, five-year deal worth five-plus million dollars per year starts to limit what you can do in 23 and in 24 and beyond and if they go out there and get one of these defensemen as well that we were talking about, Olimata or Ben Sherrod, Nikita Zadorov, whoever it is that you like, Zat- Zadorov, Zadorov, <laughs> Zadorov, Zadorov. Damn it. I fell into Alex's trap here. Um, those guys lock you into what you have in your top four defensemen for like the next five years, potentially. So it just becomes very difficult to decide, okay, which one is the better route to go? I think the way that I would lean is with the flexibility. If you can't get a Matthew Kachuk this offseason or a Jacob Chikrin, 
I think I would try to remain more nimble. And that goes back to the bargain bin guys. Ian Cole makes a lot of sense. Two years, $5 million. Put him on your third pairing defensively and see if you can find somebody else that works on that top pairing between Mikola and Scandella. Maybe there's somebody that you could trade for that you hope becomes that guy. If you can't get a Matthew Kachuk, your guy that you mentioned yesterday, Alex, from the Oilers, um, Puyi that guy makes a lot of sense. You're betting on upside there. Those are the kinds of moves that I think make more sense than locking yourself into something long-term this offseason that could hinder what you could do. I just think Doug Armstrong has always been so good at looking at the options before you sit there and say, well, you have to do this. Everyone is going to believe, yes, you have to get David Perron locked up. And I'm in that same company. Grant and I are on the same page. I don't think it's going to take $6 million per year to get him locked up. I think you'd be able to find something that works for the team's future and for David Perron. But if that's where it gets to, you got to look at the you got to look while this window is still open. And Doug told us that with Thomas and Kyrie on this roster, that window is now open even longer. Yep. Do you want to shut it in a matter of two years of locking a player up to six million dollars that's going to play in your top line and is very effective, but it eliminates your opportunities to be flexible elsewhere? And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes, is the Cardinals offense too up and down right now for its own good? And if the answer is yes, what do they do about it? We'll talk about that coming up at one o'clock. But next, the junk drawer, including one of Alex's former jobs. I've got something that would terrify him if he was still in it. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. the juncture alex what was your thoughts on cockroaches whenever you were in pest control uh the single mo- well tied for the single worst job that you could go out on with bed bugs bed bugs was one of those things that like you basically had to when you got finished you'd have to throw your clothes into a blood garbage bag and get rid of them because really? yeah you'd be well i mean you'd be so panicked because they attach to you you'd be worried they're on your clothes and you don't know and you bring them home and next thing you know they're in your house so Cockroaches stunk, though, because believe me, I've done jobs where they're falling out of the ceiling onto your shoulders and you don't know what the hell's happening. So like a hundred cockroaches in your house. What would that do? Well, one, it would tell me you're filthy. Uh, And two, a hundred would suck. What if they were there for a month? Oh, God, what is wrong with these people? Why why would cockroaches be there for a month? Blow the house up. (laughs) A pest. The pest informer is a pest company that is trying to conduct a study and they are willing to pay you yes you alex ferrario two thousand dollars in exchange for releasing 100 cockroaches into your house no they're looking for five to seven houses across the united states for this 30-day study then that, that makes no sense you are not allowed to use anything to get rid of them they that, just have to live with you that makes for 30 days why do you need to do a study for that they're trying to learn about what the the habits are. I know I, what I, the habits are. They they terrorize your home because you're filthy. And the thing is, it's not just going to be 100 cockroaches. If they're there for how long did you say? 30 days? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a couple thousand cockroaches by the end of it. Those things lay eggs like crazy. One female cockroach at her peak can produce two egg cases a week. Each case contains 16 eggs that take between 24 and 38 days to hatch. When I work when I work for my story from Yahoo. When I work for my dad's pest 
control company. Like you don't understand like cockroach jobs. People call them like, hey, I got cockroaches. Be like, cool. Congratulations. Your life is going to suck for the next month. And you don't go out there once and take care of it. I think we used to go out there like once a week for an entire month because you'd kill the first round of them. But guess what? Mama cockroach just laid about 1800 eggs in your refrigerator and now you got to go kill another one of them. Those would, suck, dude. Is there a no, is there a dollar figure that you would be willing to do this? No, two, yeah, a million dollars. I'll so live certainly with cockroaches. not for two grand. Hell no, because you know how much money I'm going to have to pay to get those cockroaches out of my house once this study is finished. Yeah, I would need. There's no way. Shape if or you form. gave me a hundred grand, I would consider it. Hundred grand is like serious money. That Dude, that changes some things for grand, you. Hundred grand. Understand that, like you are going to go to bed at night and wonder if there are cockroaches in the bed with you. But a hundred grand means that I can I can make arrangements that, for no. where I'm staying. Yeah. Can, can I go, can I go live with a month? friend for a month yeah. and just let them have a party in my yeah, house? Yeah, I was gonna or? say, can I exit my house? Will you put me up in a nice like resort for a couple of months? If they're giving me a hundred grand, I could pay for the nice resort that I'm gonna be staying. At I for guess, the next but month. man, I'm telling you, like. The, the idea of eliminating cockroaches is a nightmare. Like when people call for that service, we're like, oh, geez. Of all things, how to be the cockroach. Sweet story while listening on lunch and eating. Well, just don't be Man, filthy. Sorry. Man, the amount of people that like I, you would walk into their houses and they'd be like, yeah, I got cockroaches. All right, where? And then you'd pull back an oven or a refrigerator. I'm telling you, these things would scatter. And they're like in the cracks and crevices of your fridge and your oven and in your wall. There was one house that like we had to poke a hole in the wall. Oh. And these things started pouring out. You ever seen the movie Men in Black? Yeah. Where like all of the, the bugs just, that's essentially what it looked like that's in this tremendous. house. They were falling out of the ceiling. Oh, God. Moral of the story, I'm not going to be signing up for this, not for $2,000. Honestly, I would love to interview the people who do. Yeah. I would love to talk to who the people that decide, hey, honey, you want to sign up for this study? Well, what is it, Bob? Oh, we let 100 cockroaches hang out with us for the next month. Yeah, Bob, go ahead and do it. Oh, by the way, we get two grand. Oh, yeah, Bob, that sounds great. You got to be desperate for money, Ooh, buddy. The moral of the story is clean your damn house so you don't have cockroaches. Coming up in 15 minutes, what's the future look like for Jordan Cairo in St. Louis? Not even talking about his long-term contract. What can he be? It sounds like some people might be higher on him nationally than we tend to be locally. Do we need to correct that locally? We'll talk about that coming up at 115. But next, the Cardinals offense has certainly been up and down this season. How do you fix it? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We got some news to report. Cardinals have officially made it uh, official. Officially make it official. Dylan Carlson has been activated from the 10 day IL and Alex, any guesses on who they're sending down? as the corresponding move. It's either Wanya Pez or Lars Newtbar. And personally, I'm really hoping it's Lars Newtbar because I don't know how you send down Wanya Pez. Final answer? I'll say Lars Newtbar. Lars Newtbar is heading down to go. Let's He go. is heading down to Memphis. He is the corresponding move. I'm glad they did this. Me too. I was very curious to see which route they would go because I think those. I think you're right, Alex. I think those were the two I mean, options. He's, he's hitting 140 right now at the bigs. Like, he has. He's come up with some big moments of late, but yeah, the, the results aren't what you would hope that they would be. 
the the reason why I wasn't sure which route they would go, because one guy, I mean, Ollie said this earlier this season, it's going to come down to production. That's mm-hmm. going to dictate what the moves are. And that was the case here. Clearly, Lars Newbar has not been as good at the big league level as Juan Yepes has. But we have seen at times in the past where they will say there are not everyday at-bats available for this guy right now in the big leagues, and we don't want him just sitting on the bench. My fear over the next couple of weeks, now that you have Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill back in the lineup, is that Juan Yepes is going to fall into that. Ah, he's a bench bat for us at the moment because he's not as good defensively as your options that are currently in the outfield or Brendan Donovan out there. He's really not good on the infield anywhere. And maybe you could play him at first, but you've got other alternatives there too, including Brendan Donovan. So I think he's always going to be second fiddle. And then when you look at what he can do as a DH, well, you're going to get Albert Pools all of the opportunities at DH against left-handed pitching. And you've got another option now as a potential DH in Nolan Gorman against right-handed pitching. So he's the one that I'm most curious to see what his opportunities look like over the next couple of weeks. And tonight's going to be one of those tests. You've got Luis Castillo on the mound. He's a right-handed pitcher. So that takes, you're not going to have Albert Pujols in the lineup tonight would be my assumption. This is going to be the first time where we get a glimpse of what their lineup looks like when you've got a righty on the mound. I think it should be Edmund at short with Donovan at second and Gorman as your DH going into it. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think it's going to be Gorman at second Gorman base. at second base, and then maybe Juan Yepes as your DH, and Donovan's the one that's the odd man out. And I, I don't think that's fair. I think he should be in your lineup. I, I get that he should be in your lineup, and I'm with you on that. But again, like, and I know they've all kind of cooled off here, but if you just look at the projection or the trajectory of these players, who's got a bigger upside? Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman. I'm going to want to get those guys as more at bats than a Brendan Donovan in this circumstance. And the, th- the thing about it is Brendan Donovan has, pro- he's produced off of the bench. He's produced coming in in a pinch hit role or in a substitute role. You got to get Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes back to the level that they were at the beginning of the season. So what makes the most sense to me is having Nolan Gorman getting those four at-bats in a game at second base, and Juan Yepes is your DH. I mean, we talk about the consistency, though, and that's what we were planning to spend in this segment. And has there been, honestly, really anybody as consistent at the plate over the last few weeks as Brendan Donovan has been? I mean, you, you look even at the last 10 games. In that stretch, he's batting 335 with a 430 on base percentage and an OPS of 850. Yeah. He no, has struck out... A total of three times in those 10 games and he has six walks like he's got great bats of all skills he walks at just this crazy high rate he's still hitting for average the power has not been at the same level of late he's had a couple of doubles but he's not a guy in his last like, 15 games now he has three extra base hits so he's not hitting for a whole lot of power lately but I want that on base percentage in my lineup so that's what I would kind of lean towards and Juan Yepes, to your point, has started to slow down a little bit. I would want that guy in my lineup. I just don't know that that's going to be the route that they decide. And to go. I think you're also looking at like if this was a game against, you know, if this was a game against the Atlanta Braves, I think we'd be talking about Brendan Donovan playing. But you're also talking about the Cincinnati Reds here. I understand it's Luis Castillo on the mound, who is their ace. But you're hoping that because it's an inferior opponent in the Cincinnati Reds, maybe Juan Yepes can get a little bit more confidence. Brendan Donovan, I think he's. 
he surpassed what his expectations were. So I think he's mentally there. You don't want to lose Juan Yapez mentally, and maybe you can get him going against the Cincinnati Reds. So let's get to what we were planning to talk about here, and that is the offense. The Cardinals offense in the month of June, and we've talked about this before, how it's it's been relatively inconsistent. And this month, they're batting 240 as a team. They're getting on base about 31% of the time, and the slugging's what's really taken a step back this month. We saw this at times last year where they go through a dry spell with the slugging percentage, and this month they're slugging 370, which means they've been slightly below league average so far in the month of June offensively. Here's my question to you, Alex. I agree that they are a little up and down. I think most teams across baseball are up and down, though. Is there a fix to that? Because when I look at the lineup, I'm not sure there's an obvious upgrade for where I would want to say, okay, that's the spot where, like, if you think that the offense is not good enough now and they need to upgrade, where? The uh, the spot that is obviously the easiest to upgrade is at catcher offensively, but you're not doing that. You're not replacing Yadier Molina right now. So where are you looking to upgrade this offense if you were to go do so and you're trying to bring somebody from the outside? I think everyone would be saying shortstop, and Tommy Evan goes back to second base. But in my opinion, I don't think that really does anything there because you're just pot, you're you're stopgapping it and you're taking away a position for Nolan Gorman where I feel like you're going to play him at second base. And now base. we're back into what we're talking about right now where exactly. it's, okay, Gorman, Donovan, what are they doing? I, I think the fix is what's happening right now with getting Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson back. And I know people are going to hear that and say, well, they've been awful this season. Look, Tyler O'Neill had a good couple of games against the Tampa Bay Rays. That felt like at least progress. If Dylan Carlson, if the reports are true and this guy's tearing it up in the minors, you hope he's healthy. And if that's the case, I mean, that's an impactful bat, two impactful bats that you're adding to your top five, top six. I think what it does, the fix is Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill can take a little a little relief off or a little, um, a little of the workload off of Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. And frankly, Tommy Edmond, too, because it's been a lot of we need you guys to step up because we can't rely on Nolan Gorman and Juan Yapez and Tommy Edmond to do this the entire season. I think this spreads the wealth a little bit more offensively, and maybe you can mentally get right with this series against the Cincinnati Reds with a Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. I think that's the fix more so than making a trade for a shortstop. I'm with you. I think all of the everything the Cardinals need is inside of that clubhouse today. Absolutely. Last year, you had Dylan Carlson with a 780 OPS. It's pretty damn good, especially for his age. You had Tyler O'Neill with a 910 OPS, which was one of the best in baseball. This year, for context, we all like what Brendan Donovan's been doing. He's at 840. We all have been happy with Nolan Arenado. I understand he had a cold month, but he's been good on the season. He's at an 830 OPS. That's just context for what that 910 OPS was last year uh, from Tyler O'Neill. So far this year, O'Neill's at 580. He's 300 points below where he was a year ago. That's got to be improved. Dylan Carlson so far this year is at a 650 OPS. That's more than 100 points lower than where he was last year. The gap between where Carlson is right now and where he was last year is basically the gap between Carlson this year and Tommy Edmond this year. If he can become closer to where Tommy Edmond is right now as a hitter, a lot of what's a problem for your offense suddenly goes away. And the other thing about Carlson is he is a pretty consistent bat. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like that Brendan Donovan where he's going to take his walks. He hits for a little bit of power. He's a pretty good high average player. You expect him to be probably bat around 270-ish is what I think he's going to be as a hitter. That helps you a lot in terms of the consistency of your lineup. And the same thing is true of Tyler O'Neill. 
if he ends up being a guy that can go on a tear for a month like we saw last year, well, that's adding one more of those high potential output bats to your lineup, along with Goldie, along with Gorman, along with Arenado. That's where things start to get a little more interesting, especially in the top five or six of your order. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, you give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. One's got to go at 130. But next, what is Jordan Kyrou's future in St. Louis? And are we shortchanging just how impressive he was this season? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jordan Cairo had a really, really good season for the Blues this year. Tell me something I don't know. And I think sometimes we sleep on it because the high level production came really up until January 1st. But he was a pretty darn good player. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is your comfort service text line. We'll get to one's got to go coming up here in about 10 minutes. But Alex, I looked this up last night. Jordan Cairo is 23 years old. He just had a season in which he had more than 25 goals. He had at least 75 points and he was a plus 10 on the ice. Here's the entire list of forwards in the last decade that were 23 years old or younger that had that kind of a season, 25 plus goals, 75 plus points, and at least a plus 10 on the ice. So they were a plus while they were out there. Sagan, Shifley, Kucherov, McDavid, McKinnon, Matthew Kachuk, Rantanen, Point, Marner, Ajo, Pasternak, Matthews, Jason Robertson this year, and Jordan Cairo this year. So you're telling me they already have their Matthew Kachuk. What if they have a 100-point player just staring us in the eyes and we don't view him that way because we haven't seen it yet? It's a projection right now. We are looking forward to him being that guy because he's only 23 and he's really had two full seasons in the NHL and you could argue one real full season in the NHL because 2020 was just a weird pandemic season. We all get that. Yesterday, we had Jack from Jay Fresh Hockey on the show. And I wanted to ask him, because I started to think about this a little more, why do I value David Pasternak so much more than I currently value Jordan Cairo? I was looking inward, Alex. I was trying to have a little introspection here. So I asked Jack, do you think Jordan Cairo could have more value over the next five or six years, which is what the contract's going to be for David Pasternak when he signs it, if you take into account the cap number, which one of those guys do you think has more value in the next six years, Pasternak or Jordan Cairo? Here's what he had to say. Cairo is just you know, such an electrifying player, and, and I, I wonder whether we've seen you know, the, the max of what he's able to do. When you factor in the cap considerations, when you factor in age and all that kind of stuff, I, I think it's very possible that, that Jordan Cairo ends up being the more valuable asset over the next you know, five or six years or so than, than David Pasternak, which is saying a lot because obviously Pasternak is an incredibly talented goal scorer. Uh, I'm with him. I mean, the one thing that Cairo has, although Pasternak has this also, but Cairo has the ability to be a playmaker just as much as he does a goal scorer. And Pasternak has had this as well. Pasternak has had a 45-assist season, a 47-assist season. And Jordan Cairo, I think he had more assists than he had goals this 48 year. 48 assists this year. His 48 assists would have been a career high for David Pasternak. Uh, you are looking at a player who could be a 100-point player. There's no question about it. it, it now, it's going to take a career year. I think the norm for him is about 80 to 90 points. And by the way, every single player that I listed that at some point before their age 23, 24 season had 
what Jordan Cairo did this year, every single one of them went on to have at least one season in their career so far. And they, none of those guys are old in which they had at least 35 goals and at least 80 points. Here's, here's so that is in the future of Jordan Cairo. Here's why I think people are so critical of Jordan Cairo. It's the defensive side of the puck. Totally. That's where it becomes. Why are people talking about moving on from this guy? He's a dynamic player. For most teams, yeah, uh, he would be untouchable. But I think when you look at him as a member of the St. Louis Blues, the Blues play one specific way. It's just as much about the defensive play of the game as it is the offensive play of the game. That's why Robbie Fabry never worked out here in St. Louis. Now, also because of the injuries, but Robbie Fabry was not a guy you look at and you say, yeah, he's very reliable with the puck in his own end. That's where Jordan Cairo comes into play. Now, I think Craig Berube can coach that. Craig Berube has shown the ability to coach that with players. Robert Thomas last year was a player. People were saying, well, you got to trade this guy. Robert Thomas this year was not only a productive offensive player, but he was making big time faceoffs in the defensive zone above Ryan O'Reilly. You can, you can coach Jordan Cairo. And if he becomes a 200 foot player, you essentially have your superstar that you want. You have your hundred point player. But the problem is the championship window is right now. The championship window is not two years from now. That's why I think people are so aggressive to say, well, go get a Matthew Kachuk or go get a David Pasternak because they have entered their prime. They're so in their here's prime. Here's my question to you, though, on that point, because I think it's an interesting one. How much better defensively is David Pasternak than what you have currently with Jordan Cairo? I understand that he is, he is better. Like, I, I'm talking degrees here. Like, are we talking about... David Pasternak comes in and immediately you're like, damn, the Blues are so much better defensively because they have in the lineup over a Jordan Cairo. Or is it marginal where Pasternak may be better today, but three years from now, Jordan Cairo is on a similar type of a level. David Pasternak's already been in the league for eight years at this point. He is, this is him fully formed. You're going into the prime of David Pasternak's career. Is Cairo going to be similar defensively at some point? To where David Pasternak Well, is. and this is just me and Grant. I want to hear from you, too, because you've seen a lot of Pasternak with the Islanders. But I just pulled up the the athletic playing cards, which is this is the analytic sides of things. Uh, Jordan Cairo this season was measured as a middle to bottom defensive player. David Pasternak is measured as a star defensively. Really? Yeah. Now that's Pasternak. I, I'd have to pull up Matthew Kachuk. So while I'm doing that, Grant, just your take on it. The thing with Pasternak is you don't necessarily need him to be a stellar defensive player because he's most of the time playing with Patrice Bergeron. That's exactly. that's what I get concerned about is some of those numbers that they're looking at is probably the goals allowed per 60 and their Corsi rating is going to be crazy high because of who he's playing with but in a con- lot of ways. But consider David Perron like a Pasternak. He plays with Ryan O'Reilly, but David Perron is a reliable player defensively. I think you're not seeing as much from Pasternak because it goes to Patrice Bergeron Pasternak is a 200-foot player that plays just as much in his own end. And to give you a little bit more perspective on the other player on this side of things, Matthew Kachuk is measured, according to the athletic player cards, exactly the same as David Pasternak, as a star talent player defensively. So that I, I figured that would be the case on Kachuk. I mean, you can watch him and you can see defensively he's he's pretty good. But and also, also he's just he brings physicality. But also remember, these guys have been in the NHL for five, six, seven seasons. This is Kairu's first full season as an NHL player. I just always wonder sometimes like locally, we hone in so much on the individual moments that look bad for players. And then nationally, we only see in like little glimpses of what David Pasternak is or some of these other high-flying players that are scoring 30 to 40 goals. 
I think you're going to run into some of the same pitfalls with those guys that you do right now with Jordan Cairo, especially given where Cairo's been in the lineup. He's been playing second or third line minutes where he's not with Ryan O'Reilly, and Pasternak would have an adjustment here in St. Louis where you're not playing with Patrice Bergeron anymore, who's one of the best defensive forwards in the history of the game, much less playing right now. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm bringing all this up, I don't think I would trade Jordan Cairo straight up right now for David Pasternak. And that may sound weird to some. You hear me say that and you're like, you're crazy. And I understand that. But the reason why is because I'm not trading Jordan Cairo while he is cost controlled unless I'm getting a superstar who plays differently than he plays. I'm going for a Matthew Kachuk or somebody in that ilk where they bring the physicality. They play 200 foot game and they are able to score 100 points in a season. If you bring all of that to the table, and I feel like I am clearly upgrading, I'm willing to make that move. But unless I feel that way, I'm not trading away a guy that has legit potential for 100 points in a season as soon as next year. Here's where I stand on on Kairu on the defensive side of the puck. And correct me if, if you have a differing opinion. You're going to have your moments, especially with a younger player, like we saw in that game five with Nathan McKinnon just flying right through the neutral zone, uncontested, flies in on goal and scores. That has to be a better play. But I also have seen some plays out of Kyrie defensively where I'm like, okay, that looks good. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of getting him to commit to the defensive side of the puck. There's no head coach in the NHL that I would trust more than Craig Berube with developing Jordan Kyrie on the defensive side of the puck. I don't think that's a problem long-term. I really don't. I think he can be below average. And if you're below average defensively with what he's bringing to you offensively, and if he does get to this range that we're talking about where it's 35-plus goals and maybe 100 points in a season, man, that's that's a superstar. Like, you've developed your superstar internally. And, oh, by the way, you might be able to re-sign him either this offseason or next for a couple of years, $4 million, and then we're talking about later on. You've got, like, three more years of team control at a reasonable rate. So I, I am at the level right now where I, I don't know that this is a smart decision to trade Kairou. Again, unless we're talking about Matthew Kachuk. I think it has to be that that outstanding of a player for me to be willing to do this. I'm the exact same way. The only way I'm trading Jordan Kairou is I get the polar opposite type of player, but the same caliber of player, and that's Matthew Kachuk. David Pasternak, you know, you asked the question earlier, if you don't have David Perron, who's playing that number one power play? In all reality, it's Jordan Kairou, because Jordan Kairou is a superstar talent player who can shoot the puck. So I'm not. I wouldn't go straight up for Pasternak. But I would go straight up for Matthew Kachuk because you're getting a different identity of a player for the Blues. But let's all not overlook what an offseason can do for a player. Robert Thomas went into an offseason where he was small, skinny, bumped off the puck. That's a good point. Robert Thomas came back the next season, thick, heavy, doesn't get bumped off the puck. Let's pause a little bit before we sit here and say, yeah, I'd trade Jordan Kyrou right now because you might have a different Jordan Kyrou next year than this year. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind for the BK and Ferrario week. But next, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
count that that big bang. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this one from the 314. One's got to go Sports Commissioner Edition. Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, Rob Manfred, or Adam Silver. This one's easy for me. Yeah, I'm going yeah. Rob Manfred. He's got to get oh, all the way really? out of here. Oh, yeah. I was actually going to go Roger Goodell. Yeah, no. I'm going Roger Goodell. Because of the, the, the and I mean, look, every sport probably has At theirs. least they have continued playing and haven't had any labor disputes. Understandable. That have lasted 100 days. Understandable, but I'm also looking at the side of like just morals yeah morals like literally everything else deshaun watson is still in there after all of this stuff and like at least with rob manfred they they've suspended trevor bauer and they're continuing to suspend trevor bauer um the sport aspect of things i think i would back you and rob manfred but i'm also going the moral side and i think roger goodell struggles there so i'm gonna get rid of him yeah, I'm on the same track. Just just the moral side of things, the way the NFL handles things when it comes to all the scandals they go through. Hell, the Rams. That, that's enough of a reason to yeah, say Roger Goodell. Yeah, that's true, too. Touche. Why do you hate St. Louis, BK? Oh, that's right, because okay. you have your Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, 65780 <laughs> is your cover service X line. Four, one's got to go. What was that long pause for, man? There's just there's really no response. There, we, there are so many people that now believe the things that you have just continued to say over the Do years. Do you and I need a, like a like a break or something? Oh, don't worry, we're getting one. Are you going on vacation again? Oh, you're going on vacation. Well, I don't know if I'd call it a vacation. Wally Pip situation that's about to take place. Oh yeah, who's gonna Wally Pip me? Find out who's spilling in. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero zero comfort service X line for one's got to go. Can't even take off. One got to go Mexican food edition. Oh. Tacos, quesadillas, enchiladas, or burritos. Can I start? Yeah, please. Quesadilla is the obvious really? answer here. There is no close second. The mm. other three are tremendous. Quesadillas are fine. They are boring. They are a clear cut, easy fourth option out of these four. But you know what? You're not taking into consideration people like me who have half of their mouth with no teeth. You that- got them now. No, I not not yet. They took them out. And they're going to put them back oh. in. Okay. Well, tacos are a little difficult for the sore subject. Tacos are a little difficult when you got only one side of your mouth you could chew on. You know, you don't want to get a little piece of the taco to stab you. I like the soft side of the tacos. Well, so can, yeah, I was about to say you can do soft tacos. <laughs> That's a burrito. A soft taco is a burrito. Then why are they two what? separate things? Like, what, explain to me what a soft taco is. It's a, it's essentially a, a hard tortilla. taco, but soft. In a tortilla. Yeah, but you don't flip it all the way over. It is in the shape of a taco. No, you and I eat different tacos, sir. Okay, I got to take you to a traditional Mexican restaurant. You did, here. and the one we went to, a mayo ketchup, it was phenomenal. No, that was Dominican food. This, this. Oh, okay. I will take you to La Tejana in Bridgeton, which is a tremendous Mexican spot. I don't, I right don't, down the street from us. I don't want to drive to Bridgeton. Okay. So I'm going to get rid of tacos here, even though you just, you know, made me feel bad about my missing teeth. <laughs> Go on, Grant. Tacos tend to have one type of meat and lighter toppings, while a burrito can hold large number of vegetables, cheese, beans, etc. A burrito is just more things, basically. Yeah. There you go. Grant, guess what? I hate you now, too. I'm probably getting rid of a burrito. I'm not too passionate about this one. Mexican (laughs) food is not, like, necessarily my thing. You eat plain hot dogs, so. Exactly. But I'm getting rid of the burrito. What we've learned today. Taco is folded. Burrito is rolled. Well, you know what? I've always had. I've always thought a, a rolled taco was still a taco. 65780 is the air comfort service X line. One's got to go. One got to go. Blues edition. I'm Italian. What do you expect, guys? Barbashev, Mikola, Perunovic, or Neighbors? I'll let you go first on this one, Alex. Uh, Perunovic, because I think you could probably get the most with Scott Perunovic. 
Um, we've just talked about how desirable left-handed defensemen are, especially offensive left-handed defensemen. Um, and I think the Blues, I think the Blues don't have anything to replace the other players you mentioned. I think they've got something to replace Scott Perunovic and Tori Krug. So I'd say Perunovic. I say Perunovic because that's going to be the main piece of a Jacob Chikrin trade. You're going to go Barbashev because everyone hates you. So for, everyone's going to forget about my taco problem. Well, if I don't need to do that, we can just keep moving on. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. One's got to go. Someone Beer said it's edition. not a burrito. Good Lord, you just suck. <laughs> At least Touché. they said it on me. Touche. From the 314, beer by the pool, beer at the beach, beer at a sporting event, or beer while you are grilling. Which one's got to go? Oh, this one. I think the beer at the beach has to go here because when I'm at the beach, Seltzers. it's seltzers all always but <laughs> seltzers did you see the look in his eyes man seltzers were good no i was thinking like when i'm on the beach i'm thinking like a mai tai a pina colada something like that seltzers are the perfect thing for when you're cutting the grass uh but i think the beach beer's got to go because all the other ones the beer just tastes better yeah i'm with you i i'm on i'm on the same page okay yeah. we're all on the same page here beer beer grilling for some Tremendous. reason, there's just something about it's it. It's like having a Coca-Cola at McDonald's. It's just it, it tastes better when you oh, have it's a, a straw. It's a Sprite at McDonald's. Really? Oh, I, you've never hey, had Grant, a Sprite at McDonald's? You, you, have, you have lowered in my standards for yeah, like well, three hours today. Okay, I'm used to it. Apparently, the way that it works is the straw, The because it's Do thicker. they coat it with something? No, but it's like sugar. And it allows you to get more through, and it changes the way you, that you taste just, it, I guess. There's something about when you bite into a French fry at McDonald's, and then you Watch. drink Coke. Oh, so good. I think it was like was it the uh, super, no it's not the super size me was it the mcdonald's documentary no it was one of those old shows where it's like trying to mythbusters mythbusters oh, really? i think where they were like hey is uh coke show. better at mcdonald's or whatever uh one's gotta go deodorant edition i think we can do this right we're not gonna get any trouble i wouldn't Sponsors name any anything. brand names right Ryder? that's not even in there do it real quick old spice axe speed stick or degree i'm going axe we can move on from there after i that. love all of these but the one i use the most is old spice Mostly for the commercials. I love those commercials. So which one would you get rid of? Because oh. this is that was the opposite oh, of the game uh, that we speed play. Stick, because I haven't used speed stick since probably grade school. I did I did axe for a while in high school and then realized I smelled interesting. And then I went to Old Spice. And then Old Spice has worked out I well mean, for me. Just get the anti-perspirant. Whatever you're doing, if you have never checked your deodorant that you get right now, if it says deodorant on it and not anti-perspirant. I just use soap in the shower. That's the only thing I use. Then you're not actually allowing yourself to, you know, prevent the whatever causes less sweat. That's the antiperspirant. I have to get rid of Old Spice, not because I don't like the smell of it, just because it doesn't agree with my skin. So Old Spice. Grant, is gotta I'm go. sorry, I can't listen to you right now because I'm gonna punch BK in the face. Six five seven eight zero zero cover service sex sign four one's gotta go. You give us four options, and we will tell you which one's gotta go. So it said, is Grant four? He drinks Sprite and eats plain hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> From the six three six finger food edition, chips, French fries. Pretzels or popcorn? You could stop there. Pretzels. The soft pretzels. Thought the soft pretzels was the hard pretzels, BK. Just kidding. Pretzels got to go here. Love me some chips. French fries are the goats here. And I'm actually, I'm a uh, low-key obsessed with popcorn. Probably have like a bag every other night of popcorn. Really? Oh, yeah, man. I, there's nothing better than sitting down after a long day, turning on a movie or a sporting event, and having a fresh popped bag of popcorn. What's the best movie that you've seen lately with some good popcorn? 
Uh, I watched that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal film, Ambulance. I've heard good things. Phenomenal. I have not seen it yet. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I had He's a weirdo, a, uh, but I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I had a Michelob Ultra cactus lime. <laughs> I had a fresh bag of popcorn. <laughs> and I'm the one that gets all the hate on the text line. And then I was watching Ambulance. What's wrong with that, man? Which Ooh. one's got to go? Chips, fries, pretzels, soft pretzels, or popcorn, Grant? Uh, I'm getting rid of pretzels. I feel like sometimes I go through spurts where like I'm really into pretzels, but it's very rare. So I'm getting rid of pretzels. Uh, I think that I would get rid of the pretzels as well. I am like, if you put a bag of tortilla chips in front of me, Alex, with good salsa, that oh, yeah. bag of tortilla chips is liable to be gone by the time that I am through with do it. Do you go regular tortilla chips or do you go like the lime flavored? I, I love the regular. The, I love the lime flavored. Yeah. I like that. I'm like, like the, the only one in my family that likes the lime flavor. I'm not a big fan of the lime really? flavored. Yeah, it's a little too much for me. And now, if you could throw a little extra salt on it, like if you get the, the, the good tortilla ones, chips yeah. and you could throw a little salt on there, add a little bit of lime on your own, now I'm in. Now we're talking. Uh, someone said they love flavored popcorn, like watermelon flavored well, and apple? No. I uh, never heard of the watermelon. Now, I've heard of like the caramel apple. Yeah, like Oreo before, and stuff too. But I've never done the- Someone uh, doesn't like my Mick Ultra drink. Well, hey- what I like. I like McUltra. McUltra's fine. Hey, drink whatever you like. Go have yourself. Quit making a fun of people for drinking yeah. what they like. Whatever they and think tastes what good. they like. You know what? Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, hey, Grant. Can't it gets go there better. With I get my burgers plain too. Just cheese. Nothing else. Uh, bacon I, maybe. Bacon I like maybe. Them well done. No. Okay. I, I could get on board with a plain burger. Like I don't put a whole lot of dressing on a burger. Like I don't do ketchup or mustard or things like that. Oh really? I just do like toppings. I'll go cheese. I'll go onions, pickles, but I won't bacon. I won't put like a lot of seasoning on it. Coming up next, let's hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario Rewind, we end the day with the news of the day, and that is that Dylan Carlson is back in the lineup tonight, or at least he's back on the roster, so you would assume he'll be back in the lineup today in right field. The corresponding move, Cardinals have optioned Lars Nupar down to AAA. Alex, the Cardinals are facing Luis Castillo tonight. He's a right-handed pitcher. So with Carlson back in the lineup, you would expect the outfield's going to be Carlson, O'Neill, and Bader. You're going to have... Goldie and Arenado on the corners. And that leaves two spots for Brendan Donovan, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Gorman on the infield. And you also have Juan Yepes who could factor into the DH conversation. So you have three spots now for those four players. My question to you is twofold. A, what do you think the Cardinals should do at second base, shortstop, and DH tonight to start against Luis Castillo? And B, what would you want them to do? They could be the same thing, but what do you think they will do versus what you want them to do? I'll start with what I want them to do. I want them to play Nolan Gorman at second base and Tommy Edmond at shortstop. I don't want to move Tommy Edmond back and forth anymore, although I know he can do it. He has proven to me that he can take on the shortstop workload defensively and offensively. He's been very good with that. So I'm keeping him there. And what I think I'm going to do, uh, what I want them to do is play Nolan Gorman because I want more of those reps there. I know he's gone through a little bit of a lull here once he got three hits in the month of June. 
but I want to get the guy going. And rather than put him at DH where all of the pressure is on him to perform in this spot, put him at second base so he can keep his mind off of having to perform on offense and he can perform defensively. And Brennan Donovan, I think Brennan Donovan is just going to be my bench bat. And he, he has done very good. He has continued to hit. The guy has been impressive. But I also want that weapon late in a game. I don't want to have to, if I'm in a position to go to my bench, I don't want to put a guy like Nolan Gorman who has struggled and now you're in a DH spot where we need you to hit. I'll go to Brennan Donovan who's been able to do it all along. So that's what I want them to do. What I think they'll do is I think they're going to play the hot hand. Brennan Donovan will take second base and Nolan Gorman will be your DH. That's what I want them to do. I want Edmund at short, Donovan at second, Gorman at DH, because now I'm getting the best of all of them. I'm getting the defense that comes with Brendan Donovan. I think he's a better defensive player. I'm getting the bat that comes with Nolan Gorman. I think he, of those three, has the strongest bat for sure, um, and he provides that damage for you. Also, that DH spot is much easier to be able to utilize as a platoon. So if a left-handed pitcher comes into the game later on for the Reds, I can just go uh, straight platoon there where... Either Yepes or more likely Albert Pujols comes in. He gets that at bat in that big spot against a left-handed pitcher potentially. And you go that route without having to make any other moves for you defensively. So I would go Gorman as in my designated hitter tonight. The guy that gets left out out of both of our options, Alex, is Juan, Juan Yepes. Yeah. That's something that I'm going to be very curious to find out how Ollie Marmel goes about it. Do you sit Tyler O'Neill tonight, though? Like, no. I know you're trying to build off of what he's done, but I mean, he did just come back from an injury. Do you give him a day off in this? Nope. He's going to, for, for the next, I said this when he came back, he's got a 10 day stretch where he is every day going to be out there for me. And I still believe that to be the case. I think you start him in every game in this series against Cincinnati. You start him. Maybe you sit him one time in that series against, uh, against Pittsburgh, oh, Pittsburgh, where you've got the day game or the night game on Monday. You've got a day game on Tuesday. Maybe you sit him there and then play him again the next couple of nights. You've got an off day going into the Boston series, and then you start him all three games against Boston as well. And then we can reassess. When you get to June 20th, you're playing against the Milwaukee Brewers on the road. That's when I'm reassessing everything. And if Yepes is outperforming at that point, what you're getting offensively from Tyler O'Neill, Yepes, you're starting for me. And then it goes into the, if you hit, you play mantra. If they if they continue hitting, they'll be in my lineup the next day. And that's the way that I would handle it. But for right now, I'd, I I want to see every day for the next week or so, both Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson in the lineup. Let's find out what they've got. And if they hit, they're going to stay out there going forward. Yeah. For Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Appreciate all of you guys for listening this week and enjoy the, the games this weekend. Cardinals back at home for this homestand Cincinnati for three games tonight. You've got Palante versus Castillo. If you missed anything from our show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's over at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. We'll be back on Monday at 11. The Fast Lane's coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.